Welcome back, everybody. This is episode 26 of the Independent Insult Podcast. I am your host, Kimbu Bomani, and I'm here with Will Sports. He was on the last episode I had. This is his second time on the set. And, you know, Will has a great Instagram page called Will Sports on Instagram that you guys should really check out. It's great content. It encompasses football, basketball, of all varieties, pro football, pro yep. college football, pro basketball, college basketball. He's also dabbling in the baseball, too. So, Will, before we get into the topics, let's talk about how your um, Instagram page is going and what have you liked so far during the variety of things that's happened in the sports world? Uh, the Instagram page is doing well, um, you know, just staying consistent with that, you know, you know, the usual. Um, and in the sports world, you know, it's been good. You know, I, I've loved like what I've seen in the summer league and uh, the NBA. The summer league has just been really entertaining this year. Seeing a lot of competitive games, the skill set of the young players is just through the roof. Like it's getting better every year. You see so many guys who weren't even lottery picks who no one thought were going to be special coming out and showing on this summer league. And um, I'm just really impressed with what I've seen. Uh, the NBA offseason has been pretty great. You know, I love that. There's so many teams where I feel like they got genuinely better and I feel like they can actually compete now. Uh, you know, I just feel like uh, what we've seen around the NFL, there's been a lot of interesting storylines that uh, we will obviously get into. Um, I'm happy that football's around the corner, college and NFL. Uh, and, you know, obviously what happened with Texas and Oklahoma a few weeks ago, that was interesting too. But, um, you know, I'm ready. I, I'm, I'm happy everything's back. Yeah, and as we'll touch base on, I want to elaborate to the listeners, Texas and Oklahoma are preparing to move to the SEC. And football and basketball, sports-wise, we can assume, we assume every part of those two sporting programs will be incorporated in the SEC. But that will be in about four years down the line. Now, with basketball, um, big news that's been happening is obviously the summer league that's happening right now. But the biggest news in free agency was Russell Westbrook going to the Los Angeles Lakers and I know this will be an enticing topic for Will to talk about because Westbrook is his favorite player. Yes. But we're going to speak on the fact that Westbrook was dealt from the Washington Wizards mm -hmm. to the Lakers. Now, the Wizards, I thought, got a pretty nice haul. Kyle Kuzma, Caldwell Pope, Montrez Harold, and the 22nd overall pick that they did not keep. They traded to the Indiana Pacers. But by trading it to the Pacers, they were able to get um, Aaron Holiday, Drew Holiday's younger brother, a very yeah. quality backup guard who I think will get some pretty – um, pretty high-level minutes off the bench at the second unit point. But let's focus on the Lakers aspect of things. Westbrook is with them. And obviously, when the pick happened, well, not the pick, but the trade happened, a lot of people heard about the rumblings and the rumors, and there was a lot of hesitation behind it being a reality because we wondered how these guys would fit in terms of Westbrook, LeBron, and AD. And so we know what Westbrook has done from a triple-double standpoint, four triple-doubles in the last five years. He accomplished 22 points per game with 11 rebounds and 11 assists, but he shot 43% from the floor and 31% from the three. However, kudos to Westbrook, what he was able to do, him and Bill with the Wizards. They went 18 and seven in their last 25 games to help them get to the playoffs, which seemed like a wild thing to consider early on in the year when the Wizards were horrible. And there were talks about Bradley Bill embracing the fact to get traded out of Washington. But focusing on Westbrook's future now with the Lakers, He's with them now. How do you feel like that team will coincide knowing that him and LeBron will probably exchange ball handling duties and knowing that that will probably be a tough transition for both individuals because they've been so ball dominant throughout their careers and they're not the greatest three-point shooters in the half-court set? 
Yeah, um, I think I, I think they obviously talked this out. I mean, it was a report. They talked this out. I don't think they would have made this type of drastic move without consulting LeBron and AD. I think the reason they made this move is because LeBron doesn't want to be on ball as much. I feel like he wants someone to take that pressure off him and someone who can do that at an elite level. And Russell Westbrook has shown he can, you know, handle the ball handling responsibilities his whole career. Like, you know, he's led the league in assists three times. He's been ball dominating his whole career, playing with other superstar players, and he's been able to make it work. And he just knows, like, you know, bringing in a guy like Russell help him preserve himself more for the playoffs. Um, it's another guy that they can lean on if LeBron and AD aren't having a good night, a guy that can win you a game by himself, a guy who could just who, – who the defense has to pay attention to, another guy that is going to draw a lot of attention, who's going to open up shots for all the shooters that they signed and – you know, obviously, at first glance, this this move wasn't an ideal move or it didn't feel like it was a great fit. But when you look at what they did through free agency, they addressed a lot of the needs. They brought in a lot of guys who shot creators, guys who can shoot. Uh, they got brought in a few guys who could defend. Um, I like that a white pickup again, bringing him back. You know, he's another defensive anchor. He's another guy you can have, uh, you know, when AD goes to the bench or you can play him and AD together. I wouldn't recommend doing that. I would like to see AD play more at the five since Russ is on his team. But if, you know, you want to, you know, increase your defense and, and bring in a better lineup defensively, the White's a guy you can put in. Um, you know, case, uh, losing KCP and Kuzma and Harrow, those are, I mean, none of those really hurt in my opinion. You know, Kuzma needed a change of scenery. KCP was probably the best fit out of the three on the roster, but you know, they addressed that through free agency. Hero didn't really have a role on this team. And that first round pick was useless for the Lakers because, you know, they're in win now mode. Um, and, you know, they were committed to THT. That was, you know, that's the young guy they've been really committed to and they didn't give him up. So I felt like this trade was, I mean, I feel like if you were going to bring in a guy like Russell Westbrook, you should do it. I mean, given only that up, like, you know, I didn't feel like it was a bad uh, trade to make. Um and I'm really excited to see how this works out. Uh, I think Russ is going to really help AD out. I think AD could probably average a career high in points because, you know, just from watching Russ play so much, I mean, he spoon feeds his bigs. You know, he gets bigs so many good looks in transition. The half court doesn't matter. You know, he's going to set his bigs up. And I think LeBron off ball, I think people think like, you know, people are just going to leave him open. No one's going to leave LeBron open off ball, you know, like that's, I mean, he's going to draw attention from the defense. So I don't think that's going to be as big of a problem as people are making it seem. And, you know, we just saw Milwaukee last year shoot only like 32% in the playoffs from three and they won the championship. And, you know, the Lakers the year before that, they weren't a great three-point shooting team. Obviously the three-point shot matters in today's NBA, but I think sometimes it could be drastically overstated to the point where people act like just getting great talent together isn't worth it just because they can't shoot well. Um, you know, and I think another thing is Russ is 32. Um, and I think this was a win now move. You know, he obviously made a push to make this happen. You know, once he saw it was a possibility, he wanted to get to Lakers and he addressed that with the Wizards and he knew what he was coming into. He knows this is a championship level organization, a team that, has championship aspirations. He's playing with other championship level players and his goal, all he has to do at this point in his career is winning a, win a title. You know, he's done everything else individually. I think he's going to buy in um, more so than any other year. I think he's going to try. Uh, I don't blame people for thinking, even if he tries, it still might not work because his game is just his game. But 
I think he's definitely going to buy in and try and, and figure out ways to be effective. I think he'll have the ball handling duties most of the game, but I think come late game situations, you'll see LeBron kind of take over the reins, kind of like how they were with Harden and, you know, Durant, Beal, you know, all these different players he's played with. A lot of times Russ handles, handles the ball for the first 45, maybe 40 minutes of the game. And then, you know, as the game wanes, when it gets to the last few possessions, you know, they put the ball in other guys' hands. And I think that's what they're going to do here. Another thing is, as a third option, I really like this fit for Russ because um, I don't feel like he's the guy that needs to be that first option anymore. You know, he just doesn't have, you know, he's obviously digressed a little. He's not what he was 2016, 17 when he won MVP. But at this point in his career, being a third option, I think if he wants to win a championship is the best role for him. And I think, you know, we're going to see him have an efficient year. I think we're going to see him have a good year. He's going to have a lot of great moments and hopefully he can win the title. Yeah, hopefully he can. But I also think the biggest thing you touched base on, which I was going to ask, um, who do you think is probably going to handle the ball most throughout the game? And you said Westbrook is probably going to dominate the ball. Uh, for better or worse, not in a good way, not in a bad way, but be the mm-hmm. primary decision maker in the half court for most of the game. And then down yeah. the stretch, LeBron will take over and run probably that five minute offense with them. Um, I think that's what people aren't really understanding for this to work. In my opinion, Westbrook mm-hmm. has to be the primary ball handler. I don't really see him playing off the ball a ton. Like a lot of people alluded to in Houston, the Houston situation is very unique because for that situation to work, how we did during the regular season, they got rid of Clint Capella. Now right. they're not going to get rid of Anthony Davis and they're not going to get rid of Dwight Howard to clear the lane for Westbrook. Now, granted AD, if he does play the five is a, is a floor stretcher. So the lane will be as clogged if Westbrook wants to be able to utilize oh, yeah. dribble drive opportunities. Like I'm pretty sure they could, they'll do a four corner concept before guys are kind of on the wing and then Westbrook can kind of utilize that to his advantage. That pick and roll with Russ and AD, I think, is something that can be dangerous. If Westbrook is able to consistently knock down that mid-range, which he's shown flashes of doing last year with the Wizards. But I think the reality is Westbrook is going to be the primary ball handler for this team to work because the way that they have this team constructed and the way LeBron was kind of laboring towards the end, LeBron doesn't want the primary ball handling duties for a long period of time. He wants to be able to conserve himself for the postseason or for him to do that you need somebody to kind of have those duties relegated um in the regular season the Westbrook can do that he's gonna go hard he's gonna be impactful and whatnot but I do think there's some things we do have to take into consideration in terms of Westbrook's weaknesses in particular and I think the reality of the situation with Russell is like I stated before does need the ball to be productive on this team mainly because he's not the best spot-up shooter or off-ball scorer that other guards are in the West. And that's not a knock on Russell as a player. I think that's just the reality. You know, Steph Curry, I think he's great as a one because of his ability to be a great shooter, but also play very well off the ball, setting screens, cutting without the basket and whatnot. We get that. Um, And then we look at other spot-up shooters in the backcourts wise. Jamal Murray is great off the dribble. Donovan Mitchell as well can catch and shoot with the best of them. Westbrook, that's not his game. So they basically got him to kind of be, in a way, a glorified Rondo. Now, I don't think he's yeah. where Rondo is in the half court, yeah, yeah, yeah. but they're going to have him p- kind of play that role where he's going to have the ball in his hands. He's going to dictate how people get their best shot opportunities. But my biggest mm-hmm. concern with that is um, he'll have to obviously be the team's primary ball handler in the half court. He's not the greatest at initiating offense in the half court if it's outside of the pick and roll. And right. I'm pretty sure with Scott Brooks on that staff, and I really think 
Um, and I want to touch base now by asking you this question. Do you think Scott Brooks being on the staff played a huge part in Russell wanting to go to L.A.? Because as soon as he wasn't re-signed by the Wizards, I think that kind of number Westbrook stays in Washington. And for him to conveniently land on his feet in L.A. and for Westbrook to pick that destination, do you think that was an impactful part of Westbrook's decision to pick L.A. moving forward? I I do think it played a role in him wanting to leave Washington, but like I feel like like Scott Brooks being LA is probably just like a cherry on top, but I don't know if it was necessarily the main thing. Um, like if Scott Brooks wasn't there, I still think Westbrook would have wanted to be on the Lakers because this is hometown. You know, they have LeBron and AD. Like they can win, they can win now, and they were interested in him. So I I, I just think Scott Brooks being there was just you know a plus, but not something that I think was the main decision. Uh, or was the main thing in him wanting to make, you know, go to the Lakers. But um, I've been on record saying I don't think Scott Brooks is a great coach. And I I feel like he'll be better as an assistant for sure. Um, Because I just feel like Scott Brooks is literally the worst thing for Russell Westbrook because he's an enabler and he'll, you know, Russ is just, I feel like Russell make too many of those boneheaded mistakes with Scott Brooks as coach. And I feel like um, hopefully with LeBron being on the roster, being the coach on the floor, that can kind of get Russ to slow down when he needs to make smarter decisions, when he needs to take smarter shots, not taking those contested pull-up jumpers or in a shot clock and forcing stuff and, you know, rushing the ball up the court when there's like 30 seconds left in the game, you know, stuff like that. Those are little things that obviously need to be addressed, but I think having LeBron on the roster is literally the perfect guy to, to, to kind of help guide Russ in the right direction. And that's just why I think this is a smart move for both sides. And I think it can work. Yeah, I agree. Um, you're spot on with the Scott Brooks situation. I feel like Scott Brooks is a great, well, at a time was a very good people's coach, like being able to relate yeah. to the players, but I feel like it was a detriment as time moved on because I think he enabled Westbrook and Durant at times to kind of yeah. settle in their ways and be who they are, which is why OKC made the pivot to Billy Donovan. But I felt like by then it was kind of too late. Like they were so used to Scott Brooks being who he was. Right. that when he left, they kind of resented that fact for a minute. They were still able to get to the conference finals with Billy Donovan, but, and that's just based upon their talent as a duo alone. Talent, yeah. Right. But with Westbrook, I think you said it best. Uh, it's really going to come down to how Vogel, Brooks and LeBron are able to relate to Russ in the half court. I think half court wise is where his game will decide the fate of the team, not just in the regular season, but in the playoffs, because we know what a speed demon he is in transition, even at his age of 32 in the open floor. He's the best that we've probably ever seen at the point guard spot. He's athletic. He's fast. He can finish at the rim. He's powerful. He can finish with two hands on with the slam. And then he's yeah. also a wizard when it comes to going full speed and being able to dump it down to the big. But in the half court, he's going to have to, at times, when the pick and roll is not there, make the best decisions. And like I said before, that mid-range is going to be crucial. I don't think he has to be a knockdown three-point shooter, but his mid-range in his prime made him such a tough cover in the pick and roll, which is why I, I, re- I resented the fact when they lost to the Warriors, they stopped running the pick and roll with him and Adams. I think they played a huge partner else. And I don't think that team ran the pick and roll enough between him and Durant. If he gets the quality mid-range down, imagine the pick and roll opportunities he can have with LeBron, who's talking about playing the four, and AD talking about playing the five. It'll open up everything in the half court for them moving forward. And I think that's where L.A. kind of has to 
make sure the best things come out for them offensively. Yeah. They've got to make sure that they put Westbrook in comfortable situation to have court. And they have to tell him, for the benefit of the team, taking the mid-range is cool, not forcing a drive amongst the trio defenders isn't the worst thing. And being able to make sure you give LeBron and AD quality shots in the basket is the best thing possible. But yeah. the bad thing about it is for this basketball team, they're not a great defensive team. They're very old. But let's focus on the defensive aspect. I think personally their closing lineup is going to be Westbrook, um, possibly the Westbrook, Wayne Ellington, Mello, Bron, AD. I think that's going to be their closing five. Yeah. It's not the greatest defensive closing five, no. with the exception of AD. How will they be able to fight that hurdle in a West where, as the Lakers are getting older, to build up their experience for the postseason, everybody else is either getting younger or in their young primes and have the ability to run them off the floor? Well, I think – I, I don't know. Like, the thing is, like, Ariza, I feel like Ariza might be on the floor, too. It really just depends on – I feel like their closing lineups could vary, like, depending on who's having the best game, who's playing the best or whatever. But um, I, th I think the defensive thing, like, I I've always been, like, you know, a type of guy I just focus about the effort, the intensity that you're playing with. And I think, like, you know, these guys are all battle-tested. And um, I don't think the Asians is going to play as big of a role as people are making it seem. Um, and like you said, like when you have a guy like Anthony Davis, you know, who can protect the room, even if guys are getting blown by or guys are miscommunicating, you have a guy like Anthony Davis who's a presence at the room who can, you know, kind of diminish all that a little. So I, and I think Russ is like a guy like when Russ is locked in defensively, I feel like he could be a really good perimeter defender. I just his problem is he's not locked in all the time. and His off ball defense needs some work. Um, but, you know, Ellington, Ariza, those type of guys. I would probably put those guys in if I'm looking for a good defensive lineup. And like you, and then you know you have a lineup where you're running AD at the four, Howard at the five, and uh, maybe that could give you some more length, some more size, and that could you know make things a little tougher on, on guys. But I think it's really just about the intensity and the, the level of effort they're putting in on that side. Um, and I think if they if they just put that in, I feel like they'll be fine. You have super athletic guys all over this roster. I think they'll be fine on that end. And Frank Vogel. I mean, we, we know the type of defensive coach he is. I think that's where he's made his name for real. And this Lakers team the last two years, you know, their offense has been kind of iffy at times, but their defense has been where they've won games. And I think you'll see the identity stay um, and probably even hiding a little. Yeah, I give vocal credit for this. I thought the Lakers roster as it kind of was broken into pieces during the latter half of the year due to injuries, they were still able to maintain one of the top tier defenses in all the basketball. Now, it didn't matter in the playoffs. It kind of blew up in their face once AD got hurt. But you're right. Like, he's still going to have these vets come in and buy into the importance of being impactful in the defensive end. And I think it will uh, show itself statistically, and it will go a long way for them moving forward. But I do think the reality of the fact is some of these guys, they just can't play defense very well. And I want to kind of piggyback to last year for the Lakers. I remember they made – obviously, they made the Dennis Schroeder move. They got Montrez Harold, But there were two moves that they made that I felt like, just based upon how I saw those guys play prior to going to the Lakers, where I felt like those individuals aren't going to give you anything. And that was when they made the move for Mark Gasol. Basically, I read Dwight Howard and JaVale McGee for Mark Gasol. And mm -hmm. they copped Wesley Matthews. Now, I remember seeing Gasol in the bubble. He was not good. As a matter of fact, he was benched as the Raptors decided to play Ibaka more so at the five, then Gasol, he didn't like that fact, but I understood why Nick Nurse did it because leading up to their bubble playoff appearance, 
Gasol, he just didn't have anymore. He wasn't spacing the floor like he usually was able to do. He could kind of pass, but that passing impact's not as impactful when you're not a threat scoring. And defensively, he just seemed like a step slow against opposing bigs. So he was kind of unplayable, and he was very unplayable with the Lakers. And then with Wesley Matthews, he wasn't the 3-and-D guy that he used to be in Portland and Dallas. His shot wasn't falling as greatly from beyond when he was with Milwaukee, and he wasn't ding anybody up effectively. And so when I see the Lakers and their vet moves now, I hear a lot of people tantalized with Trevor Reza. And my thing on Trevor Reza is I think he's washed too. Now, <laughs> I don't think he'll have important minutes as the Lakers realize he's not the Trevor Reza that he used to be in Houston and in L.A., which means Melo will have to take over those rings, I think, down the stretch. But if Melo takes over those rings, he's not the greatest defender either. When you talked about Westbrook's ability to not, you know, really lock in on ball-wise. And LeBron, he's kind of lost a step defensively the past four years. So now it goes down to the fact that AD is going to have to save a lot of people's bacon throughout the season, which means that puts a lot of wear and tear on his body. The reality of it is, there's a post on social media, didn't know this, and it's very unfortunate, every bone possible in AD's body has been injured. So with that being known, how important is AD's health for this Laker team to accomplish anything in the finals or to get to the finals? And I mean, what should the Lakers do to conserve him health-wise throughout the season? That's literally the biggest thing. Um, I mean, if AD's not healthy, this team has no shot because he's going to be that guy they go to. He's going to be their, you know, their number one scoring option. He's going to be the guy they depend on defensively, like you said, to protect the rim, switch out on different guys. And he's going to be, he's going to be so key. And, He's the one that, like, when we talk about fit, you know, we talk about Russell and LeBron, but AD's going to fit in and, you know, because he's AD, he's a big, you know, he's going to fit with any type of ball handler initiator of the offense. Um, so, you know, him, like, like, like we just saw this past year, like, you know, when he got hurt, the Lakers fell off a cliff. They didn't have enough offensive firepower. Now, this year, they, they could be better equipped uh, just because you have Russell Westbrook, you have more shooting on the offensive end, but your defense is cooked. And then, you know, you still are losing a guy that can give you 27, 28 a night. And you're putting a lot more pressure on a 37-year-old LeBron and a 32-year-old Russell Westbrook, who are both going to be playing heavy minutes probably throughout the playoffs, the the regular season, all that. And so he's really the key to everything. Uh, You know, when they won in the bubble, Anthony Davis was phenomenal. He's playing the best basketball of his career on both ends of the floor. He couldn't miss from the mid-range, from outside, you know. That type of stuff was huge. This whole year, though, he just he he was down. He looked like he came in out of shape. He looked like he had like a championship hangover. And I think this year he's gonna definitely come back stronger, ready to to play, ready to be you know dominant again and be the AD that you know we were used to seeing. Because this past year was a down year for him for sure. Um, like you said, the injuries are always a concern with him. Uh, and if he gets hurt, I, I think that significantly hurts their chances of doing anything. You know, this team clues in the first round if Anthony Davis doesn't stay healthy. I mean, he is the key. He's going to have to be the franchise player, the best player on his team. Um, and if he can do that, I, I see the Lakers winning the title. If he's e- even somewhat hurt, they're not. I doubt they make the NBA Finals. Yeah, I think the sad reality with Anthony Davis is the bubble season where he stayed remarkably healthy kind of until game six where he started to break down, but by then they, they were going to be champions. So it really didn't matter. I think the reality of that situation is it's an anomaly, just like Kyrie Irving for the most part, AD is going to get hurt. Now it just comes down to 
hopefully it's not a long-term injury and hopefully the injury doesn't happen in the playoffs where right. it happened when they were playing Phoenix, they were up to one and he just breaks down and he's gone and they don't win again. So I think that's what the Lakers are kind of going to be banking on. Now I want to touch base on their shooting. When they got the roster in particular, before they addressed the shooting issue, I was just kind of like, they don't have no shooters. So I don't really see how this is going to work for the moving yes. forward. If your best shooter is Anthony Davis and they were able to cop some, but I'm going to be honest. I, I really feel like the Lakers only have three good shooters. I think Melo at this point in his career is an elite catch and shoot, catch and shoot guy when okay. he chooses to be. Sometimes he, he'll catch the ball and not want to shoot. He wants to post up and do a little ISO at the elbow. But when he decides to catch and shoot, he can shoot it. Wayne Ellington is a shooter as well. He's been a, he was called the golden arm when he was the Miami Heat. This is when the Miami Heat right. were transitioning from the Chris Bosch years. So he can shoot the ball pretty well. Um, he shot 42% from deep with Detroit last season making two and a half of his six three-pointers. He, he's really a shooter. And Malik Monk can shoot as well. He has oh, a little yeah. bit of young J.R. Smith in him, so sometimes he won't take the best shots, but he's long-gone, he's athletic, he's creative off the dribble, and he shot the ball markedly well with the Hornets, shot 40% from three last season in a weird role where he was coming off the bench, obviously because Ball, Rozier, Graham were playing effectively in that three-bar lineup, so there wasn't really room for him. Yeah, that's that's it. I like I know Kent Bazemore shot forty percent from three last year, but Kent Bazemore isn't a forty percent three point shooter. He's he's streaky. Trevor Ariza at this point of his career is streaky. So I ask you, is three shooters enough for these guys to kind of make it work at times when Westbrook and LeBron are out there on the floor? Because I know you alluded to the fact that the last two teams that won the championship, the Bucks and the Lakers, were not great three point shooting teams. But the reality of it was those two teams were beneficiaries of just being bigger than everyone else. Now, granted, um, Milwaukee was able to play Brooklyn. Durant mm -hmm. is seven feet, but he doesn't play seven feet a lot of times around the glass. He, he yeah. puts in a lot of effort, I think, rebounding lately. And then when Milwaukee played uh, Phoenix, DeAndre Ayton was getting bullied by Giannis. So it was kind of and he was the only seven footer that they had, which is why Phoenix went out and got JaVale McGee to be their backup. Yeah. The Lakers, mm -hmm. when they were in the bubble, Jokic was their biggest contemporary, I felt like, at times at that five spot. And I thought Dwight Howard did a great job of getting into Jokic's head, kind of knocking him off the square for three games. And that was enough. And then Miami, I like Bam Adebayo, but he's 6'9", probably 6'8 and a half. And he can only do so much of that size. So they're still going to need shooting. Do you feel like those three shooters are enough for this offense to work? Well, it depends on when you're playing them, too. Like, you know, are you playing them late in games when the game's close? Um, because that's going to be huge. But I, I really just think it's going to come down to the decision-making. You know, I think, like, if you're not a great shooting team, you need cerebral players. You need guys who know, like, what play to make at the right time. And that's where Russell Westbrook has to obviously improve. But you have LeBron. And like I said, I think he's going to be the guy making those decisions late in games. It's just about, um, you know, if, if you have to kick it out to like a guy like Russ, is he going to pass up an open three to try to drive in and, and maybe set AD up for a lob or something or, you know, drive and kick to another shooter? Those are the type of things I, I think are really going to be huge for his team because, again, the talent is there. I think the talent is going to outweigh everything, uh, is going to outweigh the lack of shooting, at least according to you. And, like, I think – that and just the IQ of the, the players that they have 
will be the biggest thing for them and will be what get them through. And uh, I think that's, you know, the thing is like with Milwaukee, like even though they couldn't, didn't have great shooting, you said they were bigger than everybody. And I mean, they have fortune with injuries and stuff, but Drew Holiday, Chris Middleton, those guys, they were making high IQ plays and they were running a lot of plays through their best players. You know, they were run pick and rolls through their best players and stuff like that. And I think those are the type of things I want to see from the Lakers. And again, I just see the talent is too immense. I feel like, you know, it'll shine. I feel like it'll, you know, work out for them. Yeah, I, I, I agree. You're right. Um, I thought Milwaukee did a pretty good job of running different sets and being versatile offensively. And yeah. the, the realistic, uh, realistic fact of all that is Drew Holiday and Middleton, yeah, they would go streaky and cold, but they were knockdown shooters. So if you left them open, they could hit three in a row in a game, and that's enough. And so, yeah, obviously, you know, Lakers, three shooters, in my opinion, are knocked down. They can have a guy go hot for like a yeah, quarter or for a sequence, and that could be enough. I but mean, LeBron, my- LeBron could get high. AD could get high. I mean – I mean, I know they're not knockdown shooters, but those guys could get hot. I mean, LeBron's three-point shot has obviously improved. You know, before the injuries last year, LeBron was shooting, you know, 40% from three on like six or seven attempts a game, you know, and Anthony Davis has usually been a good three-point shooter. I know he was down last year, but I don't expect that to last, you know. So I think, again, like those guys could get hot. They're not going to be as consistent as some of these other shooters that they have, but those guys are capable. They're very capable, but in my opinion, honestly, and I feel like I'm a little bit of an outlier on it. I feel like this, yeah. when that team was kind of coming together, I still kind of feel this way now. I don't know if their team right now is enough to come out the West. And I know a lot of people are looking at their core, and obviously their core, Westbrook, LeBron, and AD, are going to be the guys, like the guys to help this team get to over, over the top. They're going to be the guys to close. But I, I think a few things – I think hindered their chances of coming out the West. I think the biggest thing is Westbrook as the point operating in the half court. Historically, he hasn't been able to do it very well. There's a chance he could possibly do it well for the sake of winning a championship. I have to see it to believe it. But I I just feel like his deficiencies within his game, not the greatest in the mid-range like he used to be. He's not the most athletic, I think, consistently getting to the rim and finishing around the basket like he used to be. He shows, like LeBron, similarities of at times – wow, it's a flash from the past, but then other times where often than not, he just isn't there, and you're like, dang, we're missing something. And a, and a quality thing that nobody's really taken into account, we know about AD's injury history, but this is the second time in three years LeBron has bowed out due to injury. Now, we could say the first time was a ploy to get AD on the team, but the fact of the matter is he was out, and then he came back, and he was never the same. This year, he was out, came back, and he kind of wasn't the same. And this is a team where they were able to win in the bubble because they had three months off. They're not going to get that type of time throughout the year. So obviously I'm not going to be shocked if Vogel and Brooks decide we're going to load manage our way through the season to try to preserve these guys to the finish line. But I think the other, the other glaring thing, and I don't think anybody's taking into consideration. This will not be, I think a very good defensive team. I don't think they will be horrible, but I don't think they will be top five. And I don't think they will be top 10 mainly because their best defenders are centers. And while that would be fine in like the 80s or the 90s, in my opinion, where the game was very inside out oriented, now it's outside in. Now it's a lot of pick and roll, spread the floor, mano y mano, one-on-one at the top of the key, drive and kick. 
there's going to be a lot of coverage breakdowns off ball. I think there's going to be a lot of on ball breakdowns. I think that's going to come to bite them. And then I think the fact of the matter is everybody in the West is very younger than them and they play a very high paced play. And I don't know if I think LA has the personnel to play that. I just don't think they have the personnel to play that long term. So I know a lot of people are writing off the Suns, and I and it's a very tricky thing to do, but I think they'd have trouble with Phoenix. I think they'd have trouble with Denver. And I think they have trouble with with not Washington, Golden State, because their ability to shoot would also play up tempo and have enough versatility to, in my opinion, match what they have size-wise. And I think the biggest thing, though, is this. All that being said, AD's health is important. And I think if he stays healthy, they have a very good chance to win. But I'm factoring in the fact that historically he breaks down. LeBron has a track record of breaking down as well. And I think Russ is at a point in his career where he's still an impactful player just off of energy, effort, and tenacity. But that quick titch athleticism that he had in his prime isn't there anymore. And I think he'll come back to bite them when they need it the most, which is why I don't really see the Lakers coming out of the West. I do see them getting at least to the semifinals. And if they draw a proper matchup in the semis, maybe getting to the conference finals. But I think it's going to be a struggle, and I don't see them coming out the West. What's your thoughts to that, though? I mean, I still have them coming out the West, but, like, I, I get what you're saying. I definitely think there's a lot of formidable threats, as there always is in the West. Um, you know, Phoenix, what they what they gained last year was experience, and that was a great thing for them. And just obviously, anytime you have a guy like Chris Paul in your roster, I mean, you're going to have a chance. Uh, Denver's going to have Jamal Murray back, so that's going to make them a lot more for, formidable. I like the pickup of Jeff Green for them. Um, and then, you know, having guys like Will Barton back in the lineup, uh, hopefully Aaron Gordon can actually productive for them in the playoffs. And Jokic will actually have, you know, a lot more help. MPJ, it's going to be interesting to see how much more he grows, how much more he's involved in the offense, how many more shots he gets, you know, all that type of stuff. Um, can he, you know, become a better on-ball defender, stuff like that. Just um, and then Clippers, I would put them in this too, but I don't, with Kawhi being out, I just, I'm, I'm kind of skeptical of them, but I think I, I still not a believer in Utah. I just don't feel like Utah made a significant enough move. Rudy Gay is a nice pickup, but I don't feel like it moves the needle too much for them. Um, and we saw like, you know, I think teams will do that, that thing where they play small ball against Utah a lot. And they, you know, try to bring Rudy Gobert out to the perimeter a lot more. So with Utah, just I'm not buying them come playoff time. So I really think their biggest challenges are Phoenix and Denver. Unless I'm forgetting a team, Golden State, Golden State, because Clay will be back. Um, Draymond, uh, you know, he's just such a great cerebral player. Um, He knows and defensively he could be a defensive anchor for them. Um, I like the Kuminga and Moody picks so far. I We'll wait to the summer week topics to get to that, but they'll be solid rotation pieces for them. I would have liked to see Golden State make another move, though. Thought a guy like Siakam would have been nice for them. Uh, Bradley Bill, I know they wanted to get, but, you know, he don't want to leave Washington. But, yeah, those teams, um, those are the teams I would say are the biggest threats for sure, and I could see any one of them coming out the West. But if I had to bet my money on it, I'm going with the Lakers. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think all those teams you stated were facts, but I kind of put Utah in there a little bit, take the Clippers out. We don't know what Kawhi Leonard's whole stats is going to yeah, be yeah. forward. But I put Utah in there a little bit because I think Utah's uh, not the most talented team, 
in the West, but I do feel like what compromised them in that Clippers series was their play style finally caught up to them. They played like, in my opinion, the 2018 Rockets. The difference yeah, was threes, James threes, Harden. Threes. Yeah, James Harden. As much as I like Donovan Mitchell, he's not James Harden. And as much as I like Mike Conley, he's not Chris Paul. So your guard play has spurts of brilliance, but at times it could flutter and it could fall. And Mitchell felt like the only consistent thing in the backcourt because Conley was in and out of the lineup with injuries. Conley, I don't think, came back until like the last game, and by then it was too late. And that put a lot of tax on Mitchell, and he broke down down the line. Now, with Rudy Gobert, he got a lot of slander on social media because yeah. of his inability to guard anything in small ball lineups. But I do think the way to abuse the small ball lineup, and I thought, you know, Dallas didn't do it against the Clippers and Utah didn't do it either. You're big. Okay, it's compromised defensively. But you make that small ball lineup pay when you're on the offensive end by antagonizing them in the pick and roll or in post-ups. Yeah. Obviously, Rudy doesn't have a post game, but he no. can be effective in pick and rolls. I mm-hmm. think that's something that they should have utilized more. So I think for Utah moving forward, they're a solid defensive team. They're always going to be with the Stifle Tyler patrolling the paint. But I do think moving forward, balancing their offensive attack, I think is going to go a long way for them. They got way too predictable against the Clippers. And it honestly felt like in a few games, if they didn't knock down threes, they were going to lose. I think one game in game five, they couldn't miss in the first half. Then the mm-hmm. second half, they couldn't make. And that allowed Reggie Jackson and Paul George, the cerebral players that they were, to execute on drives, mid-range, threes, and then they were finally able to add twos and threes up, and then all of a sudden they won the game. So I think that's what they need to do moving forward. Golden State, I like a lot. And we're about to get into the summer league in just a few minutes. But the moves that they made, Kaminga and Moody, I like Moody and Kaminga a lot leading up into the draft. I really thought – Moses Moody was a perfect fit for them. I thought he was a better mm-hmm. version of Harrison Barnes. He can shoot the basketball, mm-hmm. but he's just as effective, I think, off the bounce. Hasn't really shown that ability off the bounce consistently in the summer league, but he's a catch-and-shoot three guy, and he can defend a little bit in the paint and then outside the paint. And then Jonathan Kamiga, I thought, seeing his ability to drive to the basket with the G League Ignite team, I thought he was Jalen Brown. Like He really reminded me of Jalen Brown yeah. coming out, and he's got that Jalen Brown skill set where early in his career – he is a threat to get to the basket at will. I think once the jump shot starts to fall, he's an all-star. I mean, he's, he's that talented, I think, offensively. He's such a skillful driver that it's effortless for him. He can drive left, right, finish with both hands. He's just got to get a jump shot going. He gets that coupled with his defensive intangibles. He's an all-star caliber player. Yeah. Those are two young guys, I think, that will be involved and incorporated within Golden State's lineup in the second unit. I think Definitely. the biggest thing Golden State has to decide Draymond, look, I know Draymond Green and Bob Myers have a great connection that extends outside of basketball. But if Ben Simmons is there, I think you got to move on from Draymond and get Ben Simmons because Ben Simmons is literally a younger Draymond that will be extremely effective in that system because he's much more offensive. His offensive upside is so way more immense than Draymond is right now. And then we know what he brings defensively, and he'd be another point guard that they'd have on the floor, allowing Clay and Steph to move off ball, off of screens and whatnot to get quality looks. They're dangerous like that. So that's a decision they got to make because I don't think they'll be able to get Simmons and keep Draymond and it worked. Like, I don't think that works offensively for them. But we're going to segue into summer week, and there's been a lot of things going on. But let's focus on the top four picks. I mean, this is a deep draft, but we're going to focus on the top four Kay Cunningham went number one for the Pistons. 
Um, we've seen what Jalen Green, who went number two to Houston, has been able to do. But how have you liked Cade for Detroit? And do you feel like moving forward with the Pistons, he's going to have to be the primary ball handler for them? Or do you think him and Killian Hayes, that weird dynamic that they have going on, can work I mean, in Detroit? I, I would prefer Cade just because his scoring upside and, like, his scoring ability. Uh, obviously, Killian can run some of the offense and stuff, you know. Uh, but I think Cade, you know, just the threat of him being a scorer, but also being a really good, you know, facilitator, having good court vision and all that, I think makes him a little more dangerous. And I just think like, I would want that type of guy running my offense a little more. Um, he's not Luca, but like, he has some similarities to Luca. You know, he's not the most athletic, you know, super fast, you know, just this freak athlete, but he uses his smarts, his, you know, skill set to be able to get through the defense a lot of times and, and, you know, find guys for a shot. So, and, you know, he has great uh, shot making ability off the dribble, cat off the catch, you know, all that. So I think he's definitely going to be a really good franchise player for them. It's just about them having the necessary spacing, having the right guys around him. And, uh, you know, just Detroit has been a dysfunctional organization. So I very, I hope that, you know, he's in a good situation there. But um, out of the top four picks, the one I've been most impressed with is just Jalen Green. Like, you know, his – I mean, I coming into the draft, like, I thought he was like a Zach Levine. You know, he gave me some of Zach Levine. Uh, you know, his shot-making ability is amazing. Uh, you know, some of the shots he's been hitting in the summer league have been insane. Like, I remember watching again the other day. He hit, like, two step-backs off the dribble, hand drenched in his face. It didn't matter. Like, when you do that, like – I mean, they would set screens and they try to swarm him. He just get the shot off before like they could even get to him. It's just stuff like that. Like that, that's just a 30 point per game score. That's a guy that's going to win several scoring titles. And Houston already has guys like Kevin Porter Jr., Christian Wood. I mean, their young core looks really good right now. Josh Christopher's another guy I think is pretty solid. Uh, like I just think Jalen Green's been that guy so far. I've been the most impressed with. Now, summer week, you know, we can't make too big of a deal of it obviously we saw Trey Young a few years ago a few years ago struggle and you know people were calling him a bust just after a few games because you know he had to adjust to the size of the game and you know the how the NBA is played you know the fouls and all that and once he adjusted he became a superstar and you know we see what he is now um and then certain guys you know look amazing in summer league because they're going against weaker competition and when they get to the league you know and they're playing the best players in the world they um, they're not in the right system situationally it's just not the best for them so I think summer league you can only take a little bit out of it but the, the stuff I'm seeing from Jalen Green are things that are going to translate you know his shot making ability like there's no defense for that when you can make some of the shots he's making I mean have fun and you know and I, he's really good at just getting through defense his ball handling like is very underrated like you know he's shown that off a lot too so uh, I, I think the Rockets were smart to sit him out for the rest of summer week, though, with that little injury he got. Um, but Jalen Green's been the most impressive so far. Yeah, um, Jalen Green, like, it's it's crazy. He's so athletic that yes. even on his jump shots, it feels like he's going to jump out of the gym. Like, it's it, the yeah, bounce it's, is <laughs> immense. It's incredible. But I think with Cade, you know, with Cade Cunningham, it's unique. Obviously, he's from the Arlington, Texas area, so – probably looked at a lot of Luca and a lot of Dallas, a lot of Dirk as well. So his skill set is Luca S because he's not the most athletic. He's a ball handler and a playmaker. But I think the things that differentiate from him and Luca, I think two of them are good. 
One of them yeah. is a little bit not bad, but it's something that he has to work on. I think he's a better shooter than Luca. Uh, he hit seven threes in summer league. It just looks he looks effortless as a shooter. I think Luca is a very good rhythm slash volume shooter. Like when Luca right. gets in a zone, he's uncheckable. But I think Cade is a guy who can spot up and hit a corner three as yeah. well as get into his own shot. He's going to be a guy that I think throughout his career is going to shoot upward in the 40% three-point margin. And then the second thing is he gets after he defensively. He's a better – I think he yeah. has all NBA first-team defense potential. And that's yes. important with Dwayne Casey because Dwayne Casey preaches defense from all of his guys. And I remember when they played the Thunder in the first summer league game, everybody was getting after it defensively. He was. Sekou Dumayo was getting after it. Isaiah Stewart wasn't out there, but Sadiq Bey. And I think him setting the tone defensively is going to go a long way. And I think that's going to be the thing that's going to shine bright the most. And I think it's going to allow him to get individual accolades quicker than probably his other contemporaries because of what he can do on both ends. But I think the thing that he doesn't have that Luca had early, aggressiveness. He's very selective with how he chooses to be aggressive. And I think that's something he's going to have to turn up a little bit. And I think once he's able to do so, it'll work out for all parties involved. I think personally, I know Jelly Green's been spectacular. I think it's made sense why K went number one. I think his play throughout Summer League has made sense why he's been number one because yeah. he's the more complete player. Like, I exactly. obviously haven't been able to see his playmaking ability on display because him and Killian are trading turns on that aspect of the game. Right. And Killian looks like he's the more playmaking guard right now for them moving forward. But he can shoot, he can get to the basket he can kind of score around the basket and he gets after it defensively. And he's a guy that's effective on and off the ball that, and that's another thing he has on Luca as well. I think Luca struggles to be able to play off ball productively. I think Luca can do all these things. I, I just feel like it comes basically, down to basically Kate just could be a more portable player than what Luca is. Exactly. Luka, I, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And I think that's going to be important for what they're building in Detroit because He's versatile. Sadiq Bey's versatile. Isaiah Stewart's versatile. I think Sekou Dubayo is versatile. Killian is versatile. Versatility matters on both ends of the floor. That allows Casey to be very creative, I think, offensively. And while I don't think Detroit this year is going to be a playoff team, I would not be surprised next year if they are because they're building something. I think Cade was the missing piece. Um, I think Killian Hayes not being able to be in the lineup because of his injury hurt how they could view their full trajectory projection-wise. And I think if Killian didn't get hurt and he showed promise, maybe they don't take K, they take Green instead because they're like, we got our point guard of the future. Now you got to take K just in case Killian doesn't work out and K looks like a seamless fit. Now with Jalen, he's got the athleticism, in my opinion, of a Vince Carter, but the mid-range and three-point shooting ability of a Bradley Beal, like, Usually you yeah. don't see guys athletically be that skilled in the mid-range and from three. Obviously, Zach Levine is now, but that's something he had to develop over time. Like He wasn't yeah. that polished from deep or from the mid. He was just an athletic freak of nature who could space the floor once every while. He developed that over time. Green has that automatically. The only thing that I think Green needs to work on, playmaking. He seems very rudimentary in that, especially in the pick and roll. And slowing down I think at times he's too fast for his own good and remind me a little bit of how John Wall was when he was with the Wizards early in his career he was too fast like running off the court fast like at times in the half in a full court situation I think Green just needs to slow down a little bit offensively and let the game come to him when he does that he'll be unstoppable like I I think you're seeing 
a gold medalist, like he's going to be an Olympian, an all-star, all-NBA talent. You're seeing that type of play with Jalen Green. There's no question about it. I think now with Houston, they're in a unique spot. When everything happened with James Harden, I think we all thought when they traded Harden and got literally nothing back, they didn't get Oladipo back, they didn't get LeVert, they didn't get nothing. We all thought, dang, they're done. Like they're going to be in turmoil for five years. They get the second pick. KBJ shows promise. Kenya Martin Jr. shows promise. Christian Wood, before he got hurt, shows promise. Now you have Jalen Green. Um, if I'm Coach Silas, the world is your oyster. And I think they have a chance, even in the West, it's going to be tough to compete for a playing spot because this team's going to be special. I think now they have to realize and figure out who's going to be their point guard. I know Kevin Porter Jr. has point guard skill set and tendencies, but he's a scorer first. Jalen Green's a scorer first. And then the guys in the front court that you have, Martin, Wood, and right. the guy that they got from Turkey, I think those are guys – your front court players are guys that can play without the basketball. You got to decide backcourt-wise who's going to be the guy to relegate it all for everybody in the half court. Right. If that's Porter Jr., I think that can go a long way. I do think defensively, though, it's going to probably be tough in the backcourt. I, I think Porter Jr. and Green have the ability to be competent defenders because of their wingspan and their athleticism – it's going to be about consistency and effort for them. But they're in a division with the Mavericks, the Pelicans, the Spurs, and the Grizzlies, which, in my opinion, contrary to popular belief, yes, the Mavericks are above everybody in that division because they have Luka. But I feel like if you look at everybody in this totality, they're kind of on the same level, maybe except the Spurs. So Houston could get wins in their division, could steal some wins in the West and in the East, and they could find themselves competing, I think, for a Western Conference playing spot to get into the playoffs. Yeah. And that would be crazy. Now, the third and fourth yeah, spots. Oh, you want to say something to add yeah, to that? Yeah, I was going to touch on that. Like, yeah, we see teams every year, you know, like a team like the Knicks or the Nets a few years ago when they had Dinwiddie and D'Lo or, or the Clippers before Paul George and Kawhi. We see teams that just come out of nowhere, you know, who have really good regular season success. They, you know, adopt an identity. Um, they buy into whatever what the coach is selling. Um, and, and, you know, they, they have a good, a good season. So I could, I mean, I could see that with a team like the Rockets, just with all the young legs they have guys who will be invigorated guys who will be happy to play every night, you know, that that's possible. And they're, and they're really talented, like you said. Yeah, they are. I, I think there's two things that they have to do. I think you, you got to get rid of, I think John wall. Except, and probably Eric Gordon too. Maybe you can keep Eric Gordon around possibly to come off the bench if he's cool with that. But if he wants to get out because he wants to go to a winning team, understandable i think you have to pivot off of them asap get some type of draft pick or a veteran influence in there as well that could kind of provide that veteran leadership for such a young team and i think go from there i don't think involving wall and gordon in your rebuilding plan works i know the chris paul thing with okc happened but that's an anomaly where paul bought in but paul's skill set i think kind of coincided with the use that they had John Wall's yeah. not the greatest jump shooter. He's not the greatest, yeah. I think, point guard in the half court like he used to be. He's up in age, and he's going to be robbing opportunities from, I think, Kevin Porter Jr. from learning how to play that position. So I think pivot off of those guys, get a vet in there to kind of add some veteran insight and nucleus and leadership, and I think these guys can do something out west. Now, okay. third and fourth picks, Mobley, the third pick. Uh, Scotty Barnes, surprising fourth pick for Toronto. Uh, what have you liked from those guys so far? Both have kind of had their moments and they've had their roles. But do you feel like both teams made the best investments for their franchise moving forward? 
Um, based on, well, Cleveland definitely, because I, I really like Devin Mobley coming into this. I think he's going to be a generational talent, especially like defensively. Um, he's a guy that just will cause, you know, wreak havoc for teams inside. Um, you know, he could have a Rudy Gobert type impact, you know, inside. And I think for Cleveland, I mean, you, the defensive lineup, they could roll out, uh, you know, obviously their backcourt, uh, is not super strong defensively, but you have a coral, um, now Mobley and you have Allen, you know, too long, you know, really good defensive players in your front court that could cause a lot of problems for teams. So I think Cleveland, what they've done, they, they kind of set an identity and then they have a back, you know, uh, a front court who can support their backcourt defensively. And then they have, you know, a backcourt full of scoring, playmaking, all that. Um, and, you know, I know they, I think if Jalen Green went to went second, they definitely would have uh, taken him at three. And then we would have probably seen Colin Sexton be someone on the trade market. But I think now, since that wasn't a possibility, I think you'll see Colin Sexton probably stay in Cleveland for, for now at least. Um, but I really like that pick. And then Scotty Barnes was definitely surprising. I thought, you know, I every report was saying Suggs is who they were going to take. Um, and I, you know, I thought that's who they were going to take. I thought that would have been a nice fit for them because they're trying to get off of Van Vliet. Lowry was gone. And, you know, I thought that would have been a nice fit for them. But I, they, they're obviously committing to this, you know, thing with 3D wings, you know, guys with size, guys who could defend, um, you know, now because you have Siakam, Boucher, uh, Ananobi, now Barnes. I mean, you have a roster full of that. And I felt like they could have used some guard play more or like a center or something. But obviously there was no center available there. But I thought Jalen Suggs would have been a nice pick. But Scotty Barnes, uh, you know, he has potential uh, in a lot of ways. I, I I don't know if he has the most scoring upside, but I think he could be a, a kind of like a Draymond type of guy, you know, a guy, a guy who can you can run some of your offense through, who you could put in the post, maybe run some offense through. He'll, you know, he'll find open guy. He'll find guys cutting. Um, he's a nice defensive player. Um, he's more athletic than a Draymond Green. So I think he could be a, a perfect fit for what Toronto wants to do because clearly they have an identity set. Yeah, I, personally, with Mobley, I do also think he's a generational talent. And I feel like, in my opinion, when the draft process was kind of ratcheting up, I thought Mobley had the chance to possibly be the best prospect out of everybody because oh, yeah. he reminded me a lot of Anthony Davis, kind of when he was when he was young. Obviously, he didn't have that Anthony Davis-type impact in mm-hmm. college, but he was solid for USC in his own right, leading him to the Sweet 16. Uh, I think in a modern big, it's always important to see he doesn't have to come out of the gate showing immense ability to shoot three-pointers or stretch the floor. But he has a nice touch from the mid-range. He's not shooting the ball particularly well from three in the summer league, but the potential's there. He can score on the block, and he's a guy that can protect the rim. So you're getting a guy in Cleveland where, for Cleveland, you're getting a guy that's going to be versatile in his own right. Now, you want to wonder how him and Allen are able to kind of play together. Allen's in their long-term plans for sure. He got the $100 million five-year deal. He's not going anywhere for at least the next two to three years. So as Mobley develops, you wonder, can Mobley develop that three-point shot enough to where he and Allen are playable because right. he'll be able to stretch the floor offensively because Mobley's going to be playable defensively. He can guard mm-hmm. one through five. Like he, he can do it very well. He's yeah. got an ability to be able to move his legs laterally and whatnot, so that's going to be a bonus for them. And with Scotty Barnes, he had that great summer league opener, 18-10, and 10, and I think a lot of people are like, man, I think I was like, man, if he can hit that jump shot, he's, he can be nice. And then he kind of yeah. went back to kind of what everybody feared he'd be 
from a floor perspective. Ceiling is, gets a jump shot with the handle that he has. Maybe he could be a Kawhi Leonard type player. The floor is the jump shot doesn't knock down consistently. Yeah, he has ball handling ability, but he's kind of wild and erratic with it. So the floor would be he'd be another OG Ananobi, which isn't bad. But OG Ananobi at this point in his career is probably going to be a 3 and D guy. So Scotty, yeah. I think, showed playmaking ability. And I think Scotty also showed he's going to probably be better with the ball in his hands early. Yeah. I don't think he's effective enough of a shooter to just spot up and be a 3 and D guy. So I'm interested um, when Toronto goes into the real real lineup moving forward in the regular season. I don't – Scotty probably won't start, or if he does, i just been this talk in Toronto where they might put out four wings with one guard where maybe Scotty might be a five. I, that will not work long term. I'm just going to be honest. I, I know positional yeah. basketball, positionless basketball. Something. Yeah, they're trying to be like Golden State and, you know, be different. But, yeah, I don't think that's the smartest idea. Right, because I know people are saying positionless basketball is yada, yada, mm-hmm. yada, but – we just saw Jokic win the MVP and Giannis win finals MVP. Right. Size matters. It doesn't matter if you call yourself a traditional big or not. Being 6'11 right. helps defensively on the boards and offensively on the block. Um, yes. For you to play small ball, you got to have shooters. And the only shooter on their roster is Van Vliet. That I feel like can consistently knock down a shot. Siakam can kind of do it. OG can kind of do it. Scotty Barnes can't do it. consistently. Trey Jr. can kind of do it. That's it. So, Scotty... Well, I think his elevation as a prospect, get the three, get a mid-range first, get a three second, and then I think he could become an all-star. If Definitely. he kind of is who he is now, I think he'll be a solid energy guy for them. But clearly, yeah. Masai Ujiri, what he has going for him is he reaches for guys that have a- athletic measurables, and then you build them up as basketball players in Toronto, and it translates. It worked with Siakam. He got picked late in the first. It worked with Van Vliet. Didn't really have athletic measurables, but he had intangibles. It worked with them in the second round. OG Ananobi was only a reach because he tore his ACL in college, but he had intangibles to be a great defender, athleticism. Mm-hmm. He's kind of developing to a solid 3 and D guy. So it's Chris Boucher. They didn't draft him, but they got him from the Warriors and, like, you know, G League, stuff like that, and it's worked out for them. So they haven't missed yet doing this. So they have history and equity on their side. But when you choose a guy like Suggs over, in my opinion, I didn't have a problem with them taking Suggs. I, I thought their biggest need, like you said, was center. So I think real best case scenario, they were picking three and they picked Mobley. They picked Mobley. I think it's a slammed up pick. We're not having this conversation. Right, right. But if you were going to pick a wing, I felt like they probably should have picked Jonathan Kaminga because what he could provide already is great driver to the basket, like great driver. And, yeah, the jump shot is hit or miss, but he's literally just a jump shot away. And, yes, he doesn't provide the defensive intensity and intangibles that Scotty Barnes has, but he has the measurables. So you can, you know, teach him stance and effort and consistency of that nature. But, like you said, his offensive upside, Kaminga, is way higher than Scotty's. So I just felt like Kaminga just made sense for them, I think, for what they're looking for two-way-wise. But they go defense. I hope it works out for them. But we'll see. And then on the Orlando front, they pick Suggs. And then Oklahoma City reaches for Josh Giddy. I want to hear your takes on those two picks and how they're going to work for those guys moving forward. Well, the Suggs pick, it's like 
I understood it because, like, you could argue he was the best available, him or Kaminga. Um, when it comes to Giddy, I didn't watch much of Giddy, like, you know, coming into the draft. So with him, like, I've, I've seen, like, a lot of scouts say he has a lot of weaknesses in his game. And a lot of OKC fans didn't know how to feel about the pick. But then, I, you know, I saw a few people who were like, this is a really good – he has really good upside, you know, in the NBA, his game will translate. Um, but with Suggs, I, I feel like for the Magic, I feel like it's a good pick overall just because he's a guy that can really ignite an entire team with his energy, his explosiveness, um, his skill set. You know, he can play make, he can score. He's a great finisher. Um, you know, he can make some tough shots. He's a catch and shoot guy. Um, he's a great defensive player. You know, he, he could do everything, you know, and I, he's a jack of all trades. Um, and I think maybe what they were thinking is like, you know, I mean, we can experiment with all these guards. I mean, we, we're not going anywhere. So, I mean, we feel like he's the best available. And, you know, we'll move the other guards if we feel like Suggs separates himself. So, but we, we feel like we can't pass up on him. Um, and with Orlando, I mean, Kaminga would have been a nice pick for them too, but there's no perfect pick for them. I mean, at this point with them, you're just trying to get the best player that you can get. Cause there's no young player on that roster that just, you know, you know, uh, seems like they've separated themselves from everyone else. You know, there's no superstar caliber young player in that team that people have, think have high upside. So I think with the Magic, um, I feel like that pick was solid. With OKC, I definitely want to see them take Kaminga at six because I thought Kaminga would probably go top five. I didn't think Barnes. Barnes going number four is what threw everything off because I thought Suggs and Kaminga would probably go four and five or both would at least be top six. But Scotty Barnes going higher you know, obviously led to them dropping. So I thought, okay, see, okay, you need another wing um, to go alongside Shy. Um, Shy can be your ball handler. Kaminga has very high upside, like you said. He's just a jump shot away. He's a really good defensive player. I don't know why they didn't make that pick, but, you know, the Warriors got him, and I think the Warriors got a steal right there. But um, the for the Thunder, I really don't know much about Giddy, so I can't comment on him. But um, with for, for Orlando, I like the Suggs pick a lot. Yeah, we're Orlando with Suggs, and Suggs, I thought, showed flashes. And now there's yeah. this big standoff between Toronto fans and Orlando fans where it's like, nah, 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 nah. We picked a better player. You didn't. So that's yeah. going to be a huge thing for the next two it's to three years. Until we compared to each other for a while, like Trey and Luca. Like, they're going to be. Right. Yeah. And you hope, like in a Trey and Luca situation, they're both doing really well that everybody's kind of happy. So Exactly, we, yeah. You kind of hope in that situation, but mm -hmm. I think for them, you're right. Orlando was thinking, man, Suggs is here. Best player available on our board, we're taking him. And I think their yeah. guard situation is in flux right now, but I think the reality okay. of the situation is it's going to be Suggs and Cole Anthony moving forward. Markel Fultz will be traded. And if Markel Fultz isn't traded, he's going to have to come off the bench. Now, is Markel Fultz going to be cool coming off the bench? I think he will at this point of his career because his career has been so hit or miss leading up to this point that I think any opportunity he gets moving forward will help. I'm interested to see with the magic Obama will finally get to play minutes as a starter moving forward. Consistently. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He hasn't Hope been able to stay healthy too. Right. You hope Isaac's able to stay healthy, but that front court has Isaac Bamba and Okiki as well. Athletic versatile defensively upside immense. But I think what Orlando was just about developing moving forward. There used to be this saying that, um, Fran Fertilla used to say anytime an international player was selected in the draft and the guys were kind of like, who's that guy? He would say, they're two years away from being two years away. 
I think that's basically the magic moving forward. They're two years away from two. It's going to be a four-year rebuilding process. I don't think you're going to see the final product until Suggs is at the end of his rookie deal along with Cole Anthony. And then we'll probably see how far they progressed. Uh, with Giddy, I only was able to utilize the information I got from a guy who I was able to interview podcast-wise, Hoop Intellect, who scouts all these basketball players. Mm -hmm. And so he had a video breaking down Giddy. And his video was actually in a lot of people's posts when Giddy got selected as a meme, really focusing on his weaknesses. And a lot of people are like, dang, his weaknesses are very important in playing basketball. So can yeah. he play basketball? Right. I think the thing I saw with Giddy early, early, and I hate to say it, bro. It's early. So when I said it, um, a lot of Oklahoma City fans were like, oh, my gosh, it's just five minutes of the game. He got hurt. I saw what I saw. I'm like, he's probably the one that's going to be the bust out of everybody in the top 10. And the reason why I say this is because his handles look very basic. I don't feel like he has enough wiggle in his offensive game to create his own shot, which Hoop Intellect talked to me about as being his biggest weakness as an offensive player. His jump shot is hit or miss. And I think what he does really well is he's another ball handler that can play make, which is fine. But when I hear people comparing him to Luca, what Luca was able to do was also score in volume. And yeah, if he yeah. struggles to create his own shot, then he's not going to score in volume like Luca did, which means now with the sixth pick, you just got a glorified ball handler to take pressure off of SGA to allow him to play off ball, which is cool. But then I don't think Giddy should have been picked in the top 10. He should have been picked in the latter stages yeah. of the lottery. I, in my honest opinion, I think his ceiling personally is Manu Ginobili. And Manu Ginobili's a Hall of Famer. But Manu yeah, Ginobili yeah. also came off the bench. And if we're having a draft where you got all the great players in league history in this 20th in this century, Manu Ginobili's not going top 10. I'm just being real. He's getting drafted, possibly. But he's not going top 10. So I think Oklahoma City overthought it. I think Oklahoma City was prepared to pick number one. They took all the L's. They had all the picks. Yeah, they were thinking, we're going number one. We're taking Cade. And they didn't even pick top four. That but was the worst like, case scenario for them. But you still had guys like Kaminga and Davion Mitchell, James Boonight. Like, I don't get, I don't understand that. Like, you know, like, and I mean, if I'm if I'm the Thunder, like I want the ball in Shai's hands. Like, I want him having that pressure right now. I feel like he's young. I feel like that's how he's gonna get better. So I wouldn't probably I would I don't think I would have prioritized getting another ball handler right now. Like I feel like down the road, yeah, but like right now, Shy, like last season, he showed in isolation. He's amazing. He can create for others. He's, you know, he's, he's so like smooth and like slithery, like through the defenses. Like I, I love his game. And I think he's a franchise player for sure. But I, I, I would have tried to bring in some more size, another guy that could defend, you know, something like that. Because they don't have a wing guy that really, you know, jumps out to me. And I thought Kaminga could have been a nice pick. Davion Mitchell's another guard. Like, he can lock up anybody. You know, he would have been a, a really good addition for him. Like, I thought people were sleeping on him. I think that's a great addition for the Kings. But um, I, 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 I really don't understand this pick. Yeah, it, it felt like a reach in the dark. And you don't yes. want to reach in the dark when you're picking top ten. And you're right. Yes. Okay, we get it. You didn't get to pick Cade, Green, Mobley, Suggs. But at Kaminga, you had yeah. Davion. You had Moses Moody. I felt like the biggest thing that they needed, they need a five. They don't have a five. And you need mm -hmm. a wing. I think you're good guard-wise because you have – because I, I actually watched Thunder games throughout the year just to see yeah. how, you know, they would play. 
SGA is a potential superstar. He's not a superstar right now, which offended a lot of people when I said this, but he has the potential to be a superstar. Lou Dort showcased that he is a two-way player waiting to happen. When he dropped 40 against Utah, a very good defensive team, when SGA was not in the lineup, I was like, I'm sold. So, honestly, your backcourt is kind of set. Like, you have your backcourt. They should have, honestly, in my opinion, probably took Kamiga. But they reached for Giddy. And you reach for Giddy, and then you turn around and take Trey Mann. And I like Trey Mann. But if you're going to get another guard, Trey Mann, who's still there, then you could have went all in on taking the wing. That's on Sam Presti. And Sam Presti, he's in a dangerous spot. You don't want to be Danny Ainge. You don't want to be Danny Ainge where you have all these picks and then you're missing on all of them. And because you're missing on all of them, you're not being able to build out your bench. So your starters are solid, but you don't have any type of depth and you completely whiff. Now, kudos to, you know, Danny Ainge. And now it seems like Boston's bench is starting to showcase itself. Aaron Neesmith has been balling in summer league. Peyton Mm -hmm. Pritchard is pretty solid. Romeo Layford showed athletic flashes. So it's starting to work out for him bench-wise. But in the past, it didn't. And it killed them, in my opinion, when they played better teams in conference finals. And it really obliterated them against the Brooklyn Nets because once Jalen Brown was out, they don't have the depth to make up for that. So they got cooked. Um, Other guys in summer league that I thought played particularly well, I want to focus on James Booknight. So James Booknight got a lot of hype leading up into the draft. I actually thought Golden State would take him or Oklahoma City would take him because those are the two teams that were enticed by him. We know why Golden State's enticed by him because they wanted another guard that would allow Clay to move to the wing. And so now you have a two-guard lineup with Curry and another guy. But I feel like that failed miserably when they had D'Lo on the team because usually that guy, you need a guy at the point guard spot. If you're going to have a two-guard system with Curry, Curry likes to move and operate off the ball too. You need a guy that's willing to play make. So I feel like that would have worked perfectly if they got Davion Mitchell, because he's willing to set others up. We saw how effective he was in a three-guard lineup with Baylor, would not work with Bognite. And Bognite has had a very unfortunate summer league. Now, his last summer league game, he scored 23 points, had eight assists, four rebounds. He said Michael Jordan was very influential in really telling him, you got to play better. And he does have to play better, and he did. But my question with you with Bognite, him and Melo, I don't expect Rozier to be there moving forward. He's probably going to get yeah. dealt at the deadline. But him and Melo, can that backcourt work? I mean, I think it can. Blue Knight is more of like a scoring guard, you know, and Melo is kind of like, you know, a, a pass-first type of guy. I mean, he can score, obviously, but he's, you know, any, everybody in that ball, well, not not Jello, obviously, but, uh, you know, Zoe and Melo are both kind of similar, and they both like to – get other guys involved, their pass first guys. So I feel like that's a reason this could work. They're both really long too. So there's some potential there defensively. Um, and like you said, like getting, I, I think this was a move because they, they plan on getting rid of Rogier at some point uh, because, you know, they, they're paying him a lot of money and maybe they want to cut some salary. Um, I would have liked to see Charlotte try to address something, you know, in their front court though. Um, but it's a solid pick because he does have some high upside offensively, in my opinion. Um, and, you know, again, like, you know, the summer league games, it's obviously you would like to see everybody perform well in these summer league games. But, I mean, sometimes it, it just takes some time for guys to adjust. So I think that's what that could be. Um, he was one of those guys that would come in and draft. I, I definitely felt could be a real, like, a steal for somebody um, just because of his offensive skill set. Um, and I like the pick for Charlotte. Um, 
you know, I'm not ready to give up on him after a few summer league games, but I, I think uh, it, I think it could work. I don't. Uh, <laughs> and I don't mean to be a jerk about it. I don't think it'll work moving forward. Uh-huh. And I feel like the issue is bulk night. Um, you know, I thought Hoop Intellect broke it pretty well for the viewers. And I'm seeing it on tape. You know, Book Knight's problem when he was at UConn was shot selection. That, that's, that's really it, shot selection and mm-hmm. not being the greatest playmaker. Um, he can playmake, potentially. He has defensive measurables, but his shot selection is very bad. And in the summer mm-hmm. league, you kind of saw it on display when he went against off night, otherwise known as Davion Mitchell. Davion Mitchell, I thought, exposed him. Kind of exposed oh, him to the reality of, look, you can't just one-on-one everybody you can probably one-on-one the weakest defender or an average defender and get the best of them at times but the great ones they're going to be in your pocket and he's not the greatest shooter so he's also another guy it's rhythm and volume like rhythm and volume he gets in the zone he's tough I think the issue is LaMelo Ball is a guy that doesn't need the ball to be effective but him dominating the basketball and ruining the flow for not only Melo but everybody else offensively is going to get into the locker room. And I think that's going to affect his stock. So if I'm the Hornets, obviously you got to trade Terry to see how bulk night and ball can work. But I'm predicting that bulk night's probably not going to last with the Hornets after his rookie deal. And that's unfortunate. I I do feel like bulk night would have been a pretty good fit on another team. I don't think on a team with an established point guard would have been a nice fit for him. I think on a team like uh, the magic who don't have an established point guard, um, Something like ah, it's tough. I mean, I, the magic just popped into my head. That, that's about yeah. it. It's unfortunate because everybody in the top 10 had an established point. So I didn't understand the Thunder getting him either because he would just take opportunities away from SGA. I understood what the Warriors are trying to do. The problem is it would have been D all over again. He's taking shot opportunities from Curry and Clay. You know, Golden State would not like that. And now he's in a situation where he'd be taking shot opportunities from Melo and Gordon Hayward when he's on the floor. So I, I think the best pick the Hornets made was Kai Jones, a foreign court piece from Texas who a lot of people liked, a lot of people yeah. comped him to Siakam. I don't think he's Siakam. He reminds me a lot of, of he reminds me a lot of a very athletic Rashawn Holmes who was actually comped to go to Charlotte before he took the bag in Sacramento. His ability off the bounce is incredible. He's going to be a lob threat. I think Charlotte's going to be, it's going to be lob city, the South version, like they're going to be a fun team to watch. But I think moving forward, the way they're constructed, a lot of tweeners, and I don't think they have the discipline players or personnel to be effective in the half court. I thought that killed them in the play in against Indiana when they weren't able to be a full court team, a transition team where they were just Mm -hmm. running up and down, running people out the gym and they had to do it half court wise. Melo struggled, PJ struggled, Rozier struggled. The only one that didn't struggle was Miles Bridges. It's, it was just one of those situations where they need guys that I think are glue individuals that can help them play controlled, professional, half-court basketball. I think Bulk Knight, not trying to disrespect him, he's a talented player, I think at times can be a sideshow. And I think Kai Jones has the intangibles to be more than a lob threat. But I don't know in that environment he can be that. And so Charlotte's in a position where they made, they didn't make the playoffs, but they made the play-in. So now their fans are going to expect a playoff berth. Right. But the East is kind of tough. Like I, I'm, I made this prediction. I think in five years the East is going to be better than the West. I think that the East is starting to catch up. 
they're a tough yeah. conference. There's not easy dubs out here. So I think for Charlotte, their best case scenario is Melo develops into an all-star. I know it's extreme. Miles Bridges or P.J. Washington, one of those guys wins most improved. Gordon Hayward can stay healthy. And one of their two rookies materializes himself as an all-rookie first or second team selection. doesn't have to be Bulk Knight. It could be Kai Jones. I think the guys that they have have to play above their career grade right now for them to be a playoff team because I think the other teams that they'll be competing with, out west, I think Chicago and New York have better rosters. I think Chicago yeah. has a better roster talent-wise. I think New York has a better roster complete-wise. Now they have a backcourt that can score, allowing Julius Randle not to be the primary scoring option. He could be number two or number three offensively. Um, mm-hmm. You touched based on Davion Mitchell. How have you liked his performance so far in the summer league? And how do you see him fitting with Sacramento this season? Well, I love what I've seen, uh, like specifically defensively from him, just the intensity he plays with how, you know, uh, how he like, you know, pressures up on guys and is making it really tough. He just looks insanely strong and like, he's going to be a tough, like he kind of like, he has like a Lou Dort type body type. It's, it's like, you know, like, and, uh, but he has a little more offensive skill set. You know, he's slithery, he's athletic. He can finish at the rim and all that. Uh, and he's just shown great ball handling ability. So, like, I feel like he's going to fit in perfectly well with Sacramento. And, like, we were talking about three-guard lineups. Like, I feel like Sacramento can run a three-guard lineup, you know. Uh, and I think that's something that makes them really intriguing. Um, you know, I think that, that that's why that pick of Davion Mitchell I thought was probably, like, a steal because, you know, now you could put, you know, Halliburton at the three. You have, like, a or you could put, you no. Know, not not Halliburton, Mitchell at the three, uh, you know, he could guard a lot of wings and stuff. You can run that Fox Halliburton uh, backcourt, which looked really good last season. Um, you know, Halliburton was probably after, you know, uh, Ball and Edwards was probably the third best rookie in the class last year. So I think uh, that three guard lineup is going to be something I'm really looking forward to watching. Um for Sacramento, it's really just about them addressing the, the four spot um, because Rashawn Holmes is obviously going to be there at their, their center for the future. But I love the pick of Davion Mitchell. Um, it, Sacramento's definitely going in the right direction for once. Yeah, two years in a row, Kings have hit it home with draft picks. Now, right. the Davion Mitchell pick for them, for their fan base, was a tough one because I think they recognized his talent, but it was like, dang, two guards in a row, like two years in a mm-hmm. row. We need front court help, but yeah. probably King's board is like, look, um, the front court pieces that are available, Kai Jones was a possibility. Uh, it's like we don't value them as much as Davion because Davion was brought to provide a defensive identity because Sacramento hasn't been the greatest defensive team. Um, right. Now, with Mitchell, he reminded me a lot, the way I saw him play, Marcus Smart with more offense. Now I see him play in the summer league, I think he's Drew Holiday. Like, and I think a Drew Holiday yeah. type player for Sacramento is something that they need and will be impactful this season. And I know, you know, saying it in the past is far-fetched. They have to figure out what they're going to do with Bagley or Buddy Heald. Um, maybe they can probably work something out, uh, I think, with Bagley. I think Buddy's gone. His days are numbered. You got to figure out those two individuals. Not to cut you yeah. off, I actually touched on this. Um, like, it was like a pro- – it's like some I've seen proposed, like healed Bagley and a first for like Siakam. Um, and I think that works for Sacramento, but Toronto, I, I don't, I don't know because like Bagley, you know, I mean, he's, he's kind of a project at this point because, you know, he's not a great defensive player. 
doesn't have great defensive intangibles, IQ, any of that. He has some good offensive ability. Um, now, I, I do think with more minutes, he could be a really nice, you know, offensive big for you. But um, I just think defensively he struggles. And then he'll, you know, makes a lot of money. And Sacramento and Toronto doesn't even need a guy like you. So I thought, but if, if Sacramento could get a guy like Siakam in this lineup, I think that significantly elevates them. Yeah, I look at it like this. So with Siakam, I agree. That move is perfect for the Kings. But now the Raptors are talking. We'll see if it carries over throughout yeah. the offseason. Like they want to keep Siakam. So um, I think if they keep Bagley and Heald, I think that still makes the roster quality enough to make the playoffs yeah. because yeah. Bagley showed promise the second half of the season. Obviously when Fox and Halliburton were hurt, but he showed promise in being a better five-man defensively and then offensively he was a lot more comfortable in his skill set. The issue with Bagley is getting a right hand, staying healthy, and then yeah. being a factor protecting the rim. I mean, those are his three biggest issues. I think over time throughout that season, he started to address them. But now his dad and himself, they don't like being in Sacramento. I understand why Luke Walton has the worst, like, rotational lineup. He is not good at that at all. I mean, that, that's why it took him forever, finally, to play Halliburton and Fox together. So, And they started winning. And it was unfortunate because if you do that earlier, maybe they went faster. So I think Davion works because he can score. Now he's undersized. So I don't know about him playing the wing. I think the wing is probably going to be Halliburton because he's six, six or six, seven with long arms, but Davion playing the two works even at his size, because in summer league, we saw it. He can get to it. He can get to it quickly in a hurry. He can shoot the basketball. He can get to the basket. Now where he has struggled, is at the free throw line. He's shooting 49%. That is not good. You're going to have to improve that. But his offensive game is skilled. And then defensively, he's fearless and he gets after it. And now with Sacramento, your three-guard lineup is probably one of the more underrated defensive guard lineups in the West. I mean, Fox yeah. can get after it defensively. Like Mitchell can. can yeah. And Halliburton has the lynch. So I was telling my friends this. I think Sacramento can be a playoff team this year. Now, things are going to have to break their way. Um, and they're going to have to figure out certain situations. But I feel like Davion gives them that lift, I think, roster-wise, to put them on par with a Memphis or New Orleans, who I think will compete for those spots. A couple other guys I want to touch base on as well before we segue to the NFL preseason. Uh, Chris Darte, I liked a lot, and he's impressed with Indiana. And I feel like Chris Darte remind me a lot of a more complete Devin Booker. Like, if Devin Booker was Mm -hmm. a solid defender and could play make that, he would be Chris Darte. So, I mean, I think that's what Indiana got. And Indiana's a tricky team because last year was weird. They didn't like Nate McMillan, so they let him go. We saw what Nate McMillan did with Atlanta. So now Indiana's looking at themselves like idiots. And the guy that they had replacing Nate, Nate Bjorn, he didn't work out well because he was rifting with the vets. So they were like, we got to get you out of here. So now they get Carlisle. And by getting Carlisle, they basically told the organization, we want to compete in the playoffs. And it's a a situation where I remember – Paul George addressed the situation when he was with Indiana where he wanted AD and AD wanted to come to Indiana and because AD was like, I want to come to Indiana because the Indiana Chicago situation, Indianapolis, Chicago, that highway, like he could commute from home and play all that. Indiana told Paul George cost too much money. We're a small market team. We're pretty cool. Just making the playoffs. And that's it. Indiana doesn't mind making the postseason. Yeah, But when they didn't even make the playoffs, it's like, okay. And I think Indiana saw what Atlanta was able to do with their old coach 
and was like, if we get a better coach on our team, which is just as good as Atlanta, maybe we can make that type of playoff run. I think Duarte helps, but is Indiana a guaranteed playoff team in your eyes? No. Uh, I mean, because another thing is like, I mean, the thing is like, they have like a lot of solid guys. They just don't have that superstar, that guy that just, you know, like Sabonis is an all-star level player, but he's not that guy that's just going to explode and ignite a team and just elevate a team somewhere they shouldn't be. Um, Brogdon's a nice piece. Like these are all guys I would like to see on other teams other than Indiana, but they're all one team, like, together. Like, I would love to see Miles Turner somewhere else, like a Boston or something, or just anywhere else. Like, um, Malcolm Brogdon, I, I want to see him in Philadelphia. I feel like that would have been a really nice addition for them. Um, Karis Avert, you know, I honestly wish the Rockets would have kept him um, and that trade. I don't know why they gave him up, but, um, yeah, Sabonis even. Like, I mean, they just have a lot of solid players, so they're going to be a play-in level team, but I think it'll be just like what it was last year. They're, like, in this position, like, where they're, in like, stuck in mediocrity. Um, you know, they're going to be, you know, if you play 82 games, they're a 41, 42-win team maybe. Um, they barely make the play-in, or they, or if they make it, they might squeeze into playoffs and lose in the first round to Brooklyn or Milwaukee or something. So I just feel like you might as well blow it up and allow – yourself to do something in a draft Duarte was a really good pick um for sure especially where they got him um and I would try to invest in the future instead of trying to uh you know keep staying in mediocrity because I don't you're not getting anywhere at that and none of these guys are gonna change life for you I agree but you know what Indiana does have going for them is Turner Sabonis Duarte in a weird way Levert they're all guys that are kind of still young. They're in their, like, 20s, mid-20s. So they're looking at it as it's not like we're the uh, – what's the team where it was, like, a whole bunch of vets? I can't really think of one at the top of my head. It's not like they're, like, the Lakers, but, yeah. like, a lesser version of the Lakers. Like, let's say the Lakers had guys on their team that are vets that could play, but we know their time is up and their, their ceiling is in the finals. Like, their ceiling is, like, a second-round exit. So they're not that. So it's kind of right. like – Brogdon is their only guy that's kind of old that I think has reached his ceiling as a player. But I think getting a guy like Duarte allows him to probably slide in as a starter, which means Levert would come off the bench. TJ Warren, who's held your which would be your wing, and then Turner and Sabonis. I think the issue with the Pacers is Turner stays hurt. And when Turner's not out there, they're a different defensive team. So, look, Sabonis, as talented as he is, is not a very good defender. And he tries a lot, but he's still not that good. So, for them, it's health. And got to bring it up again. The East yeah. is tough now. So there's no guarantee that, all right, we got Rick Carlisle. That's automatically going to put us in the playoffs. I don't know. Like, health matters. And then it's all about what is Rick Carlisle going to bring to them as a coach? His issue in Dallas was he was very archaic. And I feel like he enabled Luca to do a yeah. lot of stuff. And I think that's probably why he wanted out because it's like, all right, like Luca ain't trying to listen to me. Luca don't respect me, so I'm gone. Which I don't think Luca respected uh, Rick Carlisle like that anyway. So I understand the pivot, but it's a different team where maybe in his eyes, it's like this team reminds me a lot of 2011 Mavericks. But like you said, Dirk was an All yeah, NBA Dirk. talent. They don't have a Dirk, yeah. They don't have an All NBA talent. You're all NBA. They have a lot of complimentary players. Right. And so now you need one of those complimentary players to be 
a, a superstar, and they don't really have that. So I think yeah. the best bet for the Pacers is stay healthy to make the playoffs. And I think for their sake, win a playoff series. They haven't been in the second round since the Paul George, Roy Hibbert days for them. I think Duarte was a solid pick. But like you said, I don't know if that does anything special for them. Sharif Cooper and Cam Thomas. Let's start with Cooper. I feel like the biggest, biggest need for the Hawks coming into this year was they needed a backup point guard. Because when Trey Young was hurt or not out there, they sucked. Running the offense. Sharif Cooper and Jalen Johnson remind me of younger, slightly lesser versions of Trey Young and John Collins. So it's pretty clear yeah. Atlanta has an ideology of what they want. They want their five to be their five, and then they want their second unit guys to kind of as- align with what their five pretty much are. And I like yeah. the move for both of them. I feel like Jalen Johnson's still raw, but he's showing with his athleticism and energy that a lot of people question because he uh, you know, pivoted from Duke to end his college career. He's showing that he, he's invested in this pro game, and that has paid huge dividends in the summer league. But Sharif Cooper is so smooth, and those questions about his jump shot are starting to get answered. His questions if he's too small, can he finish amongst the trees? He can do that very well. Do you expect these guys to be immediate contributors to help Atlanta get out of the East? Um, I do. And I, I like Sharif Cooper, I couldn't believe he fell so low. Like, I just was like looking at all these teams. I'm like, how are you letting him fall this low? Like, I mean, there was just so many other picks, like where I'm just like, I, I don't understand how you could think this dude's a better basketball player than Sharif Cooper, but. I mean, Atlanta swooped, you know, swooped in and took them, and it was a great pick for them. And like you said, they needed a backup guard. Um, and their young core, I just love what they have going there. I mean, you have Reddish, who you know showed a lot of promise. DeAndre Hunter, who's been really good. Kevin Herter, you know, his shot selection at times is kind of iffy, but he he can shoot the ball. He's a nice shooter. Uh, and then you got plenty of guys like you know Bogdan Bogdanovich and uh, you know Gallinari who can create off the dribble, shoot, create for themselves. And Trey Young's just a master facilitator, you know, initiator of the offense. Capella had a great year. Um, and like you said, like the guys they have on the bench are just aligning with the starting lineup. Nate McMillan uh, obviously brought like a different type of culture into the franchise because before he got there, they were kind of like, they, they didn't even look like a playoff team. I think they were like five or six games under 500. And then, you know, as the season progressed, they became one of the better teams in the league. So, uh, like, you, if you really looked at how they played the second half of the season, you shouldn't have been that surprised they made a nice playoff run. But And considering that they were playing Philly, who they could expose because of Ben Simmons' lack of any type of offensive game, it was, you know, it, it wasn't that surprising. Um, so Atlanta, I think this year is going to still be – um, on that level with teams like Miami, Chicago, um, New York, uh, you know, I think Brooklyn and Milwaukee are the top two. And then, you know, Philly, Atlanta, those type of teams, they all in that second tier. Um, it's I really would like to see um, Cam Reddish show this year, get more playing time and for them to utilize him more in that offense. And John Collins paying him, uh, you know, I, I, I thought it was like an overpay that I thought I, I'd be willing to do because if you just watch those playoff games, so many rebounds, so many shots he made were just so crucial. He made so many timely plays. So John Collins is a great player for them. And like, and Jalen Johnson could fit right in, you know, as a wild threaded guy, they could, you know, get some touches to uh, be a solid defender for them. So I feel like Atlanta, what they did this draft just added to what they've already been doing. I mean, they've done such a good job going from being a, a really terrible team to just making themselves 
competent so quick and uh, you got to give their organization credit for it. Yeah, this is a long time coming for the Hawks. Uh, as soon as really they took Trey Young um, first uh, in that selection where, you know, Dallas and Atlanta swapped and it's worked out for them as well. I think with Trey Young, he it was important for him to have a coach to kind of explain to him that he's at his best as a playmaker, more so than a shot chucker. And I think yeah. that allowed that offense to expand and be as efficiently dominant as possible. And right. now having a guy backing him up in Sharif Cooper, he could show him the ropes and help him understand the flow of the NBA offense and whatnot. Mm -hmm. But it allows McMillan to, I think, hold Trey Young even more accountable. Because now he could be like, look, Trey, if you're out here doing that dumb yeah. stuff, I'm putting Coop in. And <laughs> Coop is going to run my stuff properly because Sharif Cooper can score. But he's, at, yeah. he's he plays the game at a cerebral, smart pace where – He's willing to play, make, and get others involved, which is what McMillan likes. And so I think now it's a guy that Young can show the ropes and also a guy McMillan can utilize to hold Trey accountable. I think Atlanta, they're at a point where there's no turning back. They're going to be the team of the decade, I think, in the East. As Brooklyn gets older and Milwaukee, as dominant as they are now, as Giannis starts to near the midst of his prime and the end of that miss, Atlanta is going to be a team that wouldn't be surprised to come out of the East and represent the conference in the finals because they have a superstar in Trey Young that finally got it. And I feel like personally, I feel like I'm on the island with this. I think Trey Young at this point right now is better than Luka Doncic because he makes his teammates a lot better than Luka has been able to do so, so far in their young careers. Um, and it's allowed Atlanta to go to the next beyond. I think we were all really wondering in the playoffs, at least I was when they played the Knicks, how would Trey Young be able to fare against complex defenses? And he really shot him out the water. Like, he, yeah. I think, was at his best when he was able to get to the lane, pro, playmate, kick, drive, finish. And then from there, he got in a rhythm scoring. He could really do no wrong. He's like Steve Nash on steroids. It's incredible. And I think it allows Atlanta to be dynastic as ever, getting a guy like Jalen Johnson as well. He's a guy you could swap in with Collins. Look at these picks. They hit with Young. I think they hit with Hunter. Okongu, I think, has the potential. Capella's been solid for him. John Collins, this is a nice, well-rounded roster. If they stay uh -huh. healthy, I, I I really think the sky's the limit for them. And then with Cam Thomas for Brooklyn, you know, I watched Cam Thomas when he played for LSU because I'm from Louisiana, and he's a guy that's a bucket getter. Remind me a lot of, like, Jamal Crawford, Lou Williams type. Mm -hmm. You come in, he gets buckets. Curly right. Brooklyn missed Karis LeVert in the Buck series. Because Durant was, like, the only one that was getting a bucket outside of, like, uh, you know, green when he decided to cash in on the three. And so it's like we need a young guy to come off the bench. We got Patty Mills. He's going to run our second unit. Um, we need a young guy that can come off the bench to kind of give us a scoring juice. Ken Thomas, he doesn't do anything else well but score. But he yeah. had a 31-point burger, hit the game winner. He looked phenomenal. How much do you think he'll factor within that Brooklyn lineup this year? Um. I mean, the first year, maybe, maybe not so much, but I think definitely just being in Brooklyn is like a great situation for him because as a scorer, like, I mean, that's his game. You're playing with three of the top five to 10 best scorers in the NBA right now. And like the type of leadership and advice he'll get from them is like, you know, incredible. I think, I think his game will uh, progress as the years go on. I think his first year though, I don't know, because like one thing at LSU, I was kind of, he was like a very inefficient scorer at the same time, you know, his high volume. So like, 
that's one thing I was concerned about him with coming into the NBA, but he obviously has the talent and the upside. And I just think it's about uh, having guys like, you know, Kevin Durant talking to you, teaching you little things that, you know, help you be more efficient and better. I think those type of things will benefit him in the long run. And uh, I don't know if he'll be a part of the lineup this year, though. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I, he kind of reminds me. The way he plays, he'll probably be just like what Karis LeVert was when the next court kind of came in. Before Harden came in, LeVert was kind of the guy that would come off the bench and just score. Like, he wasn't looking for nobody else. So he would be a higher gun. But I do think incorporating him with the All-Stars will help him get easier looks and will help teach him how to be a more efficient scorer. And I think that will help the team moving forward. But you're right. I think he'll have a little bit more of a factor than I think you possibly give him credit of possibly having because – Look at their bench. I mean, Patty Mills, he's there. He's going to be their second unit point guard, a solid pickup for them. But after that, uh, I mean, Luau Cabarro's still there. Landry Shaman's gone. So somebody's got to take that guard spot. I expect Cam to probably do so. So, I mean, DeAndre Jordan's still there. So they don't have really like a guard in waiting that mm-hmm. they kind of had last year with Shaman, Chioza. Bruce yeah. Brown is still a factor a little bit. So he's going to get minutes. He's going to get opportunities. Efficiency matters. And he's going to be an assistant where it's free-flowing. And he'll be – I think people will give him the green light to shoot because they gave Karras the green light to shoot. And they like Karras jacking it hey, up. Mike I, James. I sometimes. Right. right, Mike James as well. So it's just about making shots when you jack them up, which is, goes back yeah. to the word of efficiency. If he's efficient, I think he'll be fine. If he's not, the problem is he doesn't really do anything else well. So if he's right. not hitting the shot, you're kind of just hoping he gets uncold. So that's the thing there. Uh, NFL preseason is kicking up full swings going on right now. Uh, I don't know if you were able to catch it. Uh, right now, it's about the quarterback back, quarterback situation for the rookies. Uh, Justin Fields looked solid for the Bears. Mm-hmm. Uh, had that shaky kind of first half, came out in the third quarter, executed two touchdown drives where he ran one in and threw one in on a nice play development by Matt Nagy in the Chicago offense. Uh, is your expectation for Fields – to have the starting job week one against the Rams? Or do you see Chicago continuing their philosophy of Andy getting it first and then Fields coming in late? I wouldn't start him week one just because they're playing the Rams, you know, and that's Aaron Donald. But um, I would definitely start him week two and just let him ride it out the rest of the season because, I mean, what do you have to lose? Like, I mean, with Andy Dalton, you're going to be a one and six, two and five team at best. You know, and if you like wait or something, you're you're not gonna be that great. Um, you're not gonna make the playoffs with him. Like I feel like just let Justin Fields get the reps he needs, let him grow. with, you know, like kind of like how Justin Herbert got in, you know, uh, San Diego last year. You know, they allowed him to just play his game, and you know, as the season progressed, he got smarter, more cerebral. His throws started being a lot more accurate, and like you know, I feel like Justin Fields is just about giving him the reps and the time because he could be a franchise quarterback and. He's literally everything Chicago needs. He's just that exciting, explosive, dual-threat quarterback that I feel like Chicago has been lacking for a while. So I'm really excited to see him play, and I I think it's a no-brainer to let him start. Yeah, I'm going to say if he continues to play like he did this preseason, start him. I don't really think it matters at this point. He's a rookie. He's going to face lumps anyway, whether he's playing the Rams or, heck, even the Jets. Hopefully not the Jets. If you're pretty bad against the Jets' defense, it's not good. But, I mean, you're just going to face struggles. Um, it, it just looked like in the first half when he came in, the game was a little too fast. But then he came yeah. out. 
They played Carter a little bit to make him feel comfortable. It started to slow down. And he started to kind of look like how he did his last year in Ohio State. Last two years, just efficient, playmaker, whatnot. I think, like you said, Chicago, they just needed a quarterback that can do really the big thing. Be able to complete passes that are completable. There were too many times Allen Robinson had opportunities and it just sailed them. Darno Mooney has been the talk of the town the past year and a half, and he hasn't been able to get opportunities as a vertical threat because he's been airmailed as well. Uh, Fields gives you an opportunity inside the pocket and outside the pocket to complete those throws, opens up the offense for them, and now you're looking at Chicago a little bit differently because if you look at their offense, their O-line is a work in progress, but skill position-wise, they're not that bad. I mean, David Montgomery and Tariq Cohen are an underrated duo. They're cool. They don't look as good because Trubisky was there, which means guys stack the box, and they cover the flats. So it's like Cohen's not effective out the backfield, and Montgomery's having to run through like two brick walls just to get three yards. Yeah, and then your so. receivers, Mooney, Robinson, and, you know, um, Anthony Miller's not there anymore. But those guys weren't as effective because inept quarterback play. So now better quarterback passing game will improve for them. And you're in a division where I don't think this year you're probably catching the Packers. But not. second place is wide open. I mean, Vikings look like they yeah. got better. But who knows? I would I get mean, out to the Vikings. I would get out to the right? Vikings. Who knows? I mean, they didn't look great in preseason, but to be fair, Kirk Cousins in play, and these are Justin yeah. Jefferson. But the but I think the two spot is up for grabs between the Bears and the Vikings. I give it to the Vikings as well because I feel like yeah. the things that they fixed were add veteran leadership in the secondary with Patrick Peterson. I think that was important. Right. They really rolled out some young guys. It didn't work out for them at all early in the year, and that came back to bite them. And so Hopefully now Dalvin, you add that Dalvin veteran leadership. They help you too. Right, you want Dalvin Cook to stay healthy because when he's yeah. healthy, he makes that offense even more dynamic. Right. So I, I think you know if Justin Fields performs well, give him the job week one. I, I don't. I think Nagy, I think Nagy's playing it safe now because it's the PC thing to do. But this is this is it for Nagy. If it doesn't work out for him this year, he's gone. They get they cut Nagy and pay Slack, which I thought was hilarious. I understood cutting Nagy Slack because he just got there when Trubisky was already on the roster. Right. Uh, I don't understand giving pay slack because he drafted him. But cut him some slack. They lucked up and Fields dropped. They got him, and now he looks spectacular. So I think Fields is going to allow Nagy and those guys to stay alive for a few more years. Right. But um, that's that situation there. The big one, though, Jordan Love. Is he the real deal? Because now throughout the preseason, he's going to get reps. And finally we'll see if Jordan Love is solid. Yeah. If is this preseason – Vital for not only Love, but Green Bay to convince their fans, regardless of what Rodgers does moving forward, we're set at quarterback. I mean, it's a preseason, so you can only take so much out of it. But I guess in a little way you could, because obviously, yeah, like Rodgers, we don't know what he's going to do. Um, we don't know if he's fully committed. Like, you know, I know that's it's, it's been said that their relationship's gotten a little bit better over the past few weeks, but you still don't know how things will change depending on what happens come playoff time, if they have another early exit. Um, So it definitely is vital. Um, You know, you want him to look good and obvious in in everything Um, you want, you want to feel like your predecessor to, uh, you know, Aaron Rodgers is going to be able to keep you stable, Um, especially with the type of guys they have on offense, you know, um, like Aaron Jones, Devontae Adams, like you want uh, to know that quarterback you're set. So I definitely think that's, how I would look at it if I was a Packers fan. Yeah, if I was a Packers fan, I'd look at it like excitement, eagerness, 
um, mm-hmm. skepticism, but I wouldn't look at it like too crucial because the bottom line is unless Rodgers gets hurt this year, uh, it's his readiness for now isn't as important. You just want to see, does he look like an NFL caliber quarterback? If he does, okay. So if he has a preseason like Justin Fields just had for like three games, I think fans can walk away from it being like, all right, like if Rodgers leaves, there's hope potentially. Um, I like Jordan Love coming out of Utah State. I like yeah. his arm, like his accuracy. I liked, I liked a lot. And he was able to elevate that level of talent there because Utah State doesn't have, like, playmakers all over. It's just he's in a really weird spot because you don't see a lot of first-round quarterbacks this day and age not playing for two years. That yeah. used to be the thing early in the century where you can get a quarterback, like, number three overall or something, and he sits, like, three years. And then eventually, <laughs> all right, I'm here. And so he's going to sit two years, maybe even sit three of Rodgers, like, all right, I'm going to run it back one, one more time and then I'm gone. But I think for Green Bay, for them moving forward, they were able to provide it to Rodgers and Brett Favre early in their careers, not so much later. Whenever love is ready, surround him with weapons. So that means re-signed Devontae Adams. And you took Amari Rodgers, who I liked out of Clemson, like in the mid-rounds. Next year in the draft, take another receiver. I I like uh, It doesn't matter. Like, take another one. And allow Love to have as much weapons as possible because you don't want him to go in a bare cupboard. I think that helped Justin Herbert right. a lot with the Chargers. He had Mike Williams, Keenan Allen, Hunter Henry that allowed him to develop. Now get that confidence, that development. You can work with whatever. Provide him with the weaponry like other young quarterbacks have been given. And then you can go from there. So I think utilize this preseason to truly justify to your fan base that you made the right selection. And if after that, surround love, surround love with weapons. You're set at running back. You need to solidify yourself a little bit more at wide receiver, maybe a little bit at tight end, and go from mm-hmm. there. Two more quarterback situations, and then we'll wrap it up for today. Uh, the Jets, Zach Wilson has struggled. Jets media has talked about it. It's been leaked out. He hasn't looked the greatest. Um, for New York and Wilson, is reality starting to come back to them to where now, as good as the draft looked on paper, they're another team that's a couple years away from being competitive or is it panic time in terms of Wilson probably not translating it to that second overall selection that he was given? It's not panic time yet. I mean, again, it's like, I look at preseason, like summer week, sort of like, I don't take too much out of it. Like, you know, but um, it, it definitely doesn't look great so far. I mean, cause the, the thing with Zach Wilson coming into the draft was like, well, yes, he played at BYU and he played good, but they didn't play great competition. He really never had to deal with great pass rush. Like teams weren't, you know, his O line was always better than other teams' D lines, and you know they didn't play competition that could make him really work, make him have to make those tight throws and tight windows. And um, so th- that was a, the skeptical thing. That was the thing that made people skeptical of him. Um, and I mean, it's valid, but I, I wouldn't push the panic button yet. If I'm the Jets, I would still give it some time. Uh, again, I will let him play, uh, you know, get some reps early in the season because, again, what do you, what do you have to lose? Who else are you going to start? If you're the Jets, you're not really trying to make the playoffs. Like, that's not – you're just trying to build a young roster with guys play. And, you know, I think Zach Wilson, with reps, I think he'll perform better. But I, I'm skeptical of if he'll become, you know, a Pro Bowl quarterback and, you know, become something that is going to elevate the Jets to this next level. Yeah, the Jets actually had a solid draft. I, they did. I'm not 
sold on Wilson. I think Wilson's ceiling it probably is Kyler Murray. His floor might be Jeff Garcia. I, I, that's that's tough to have a floor like that. I think the ceiling's cool because Kyler Murray is yeah. going to continue to develop. Who knows what he'll be in a few years? But you know, yeah. my issue with uh, the Jets is kind of like, you know, they're not a good team, and they're in a media where. New York demands all of their organizations to be the best that they can be, even when they suck. Um, I think the best thing that can happen for the Jets is they're competitive, but they're not good. They utilize mm-hmm. an early round draft pick to fortify their offensive line. Elijah yep. Vera Tucker, um, the guy that they got on at the tackle position as well. Uh, his name kind of blows my mind a little bit. So their line is building. So I think continue to build that line to protect Wilson, because I think weapon wise, they they cool. I, I think Elijah Moore, Odell, and Jarvis talk about Elijah Moore like he's the second coming of Jerry Rice. I, I don't think he's going to be an all-pro rookie year like Odell thinks. I think Elijah Moore's solid. But you got Moore. You got Corey Davis. They don't really like Denzel Mims like that. He's been losing um opportunities in the slot to Jamison Crowder. But he'll factor in in the receiving core. They got solid weapons. Protect Wilson. And then I think with Wilson, I think the biggest thing he has to worry about is – protecting himself and protecting the football, protecting himself because he plays a freelance type of game where he likes to roam outside the pocket and make oh yeah um, on the move passes. And that's fine. As long as you don't put yourself in harm's way and then protecting the football because he doesn't mind zinging it in tight windows. You got to be timely with those throws because a exactly. second late, you will get picked off. And that'll, that'll work at BYU when you're playing, you know, Utah state or Houston, but in the NFL, when you're on the Jets, a weak roster, and you're playing, you know, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, you know, it's going to have to be better. He's going to have to be better with that for sure. And you don't want to ever put yourself and your teammates out to dry. A late pass can get picked off or get your receiver killed. Mm-hmm. So those yeah. are things he's going to have to learn on the fly. Jets have a weird quarterback room where everybody that's on their roster is like, never really started. Well, I think they've started <laughs> like five games combined. It's weird. So it's yeah. Wilson is not going to lose his job. I think Wilson can afford to have a terrible year and never get pulled. But, yeah. you know, the Jets, I think, are starting to realize now they're a work in progress. I, look, it's unfortunate that Miami has usurped you quickly. Um, Buffalo has usurped you quickly. I, yeah. I don't think those guys factor that in. New England isn't as good as what they used to be with Brady, but they're going to be competitive. And Matt mm-hmm. Jones looks like he's going to be solid. So they're racing against that. But I think if Wilson develops and New York well rounds the rest of the roster – that AFC East can wind up and be probably the best division in the conference in about four to five years. Yeah. It's going to take time for the Jets, though. Stabilizing their core around their quarterbacks is important. But I think I don't think Zach Wilson will probably ever live up to his second. I don't think Wilson is going to be the all-pro that I feel Fields, Trey Lance, or um, Lawrence will be. But I think he could be a solid pro, and I think that's all the Jets need to get back into the mix of things. Yeah, I mean, I, coming into a draft, I was higher on Justin Fields. I just think, like, obviously competition doesn't always win, you know, when it comes to draft picks. Some, there's been several guys who went to schools where they didn't play great competition, but I, I don't know. I just feel like that's so big because you want to see them against the best college players, the best players, you know, and, uh, you know, I just think, like, with BYU and Zach Wilson, you didn't see that. I mean, you saw it his freshman and sophomore year, but last season, I mean, you didn't really see that just because of the, you know, schedule got, you know, depleted and all that. So 
I mean, it was it was just kind of he had a nice year. Obviously, he showed a lot of flashes, but against weak competition, so it was just hard to take it fully in and be like he's going to be a star. So um, I was always higher on Justin Fields. We saw Justin Fields do what Zach Wilson was doing against weak competition against Clemson's defense and you know Indiana's defense and you know just other really good teams. So um, I just felt like that was a no brainer to to make Justin Fields a priority over a guy like Zach Wilson or even a Trey Lance, but, you know, that's just me. Yeah, and I feel like in a weird way, it's not against the guy. I think he could be solid. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think BYU asked him to do a lot, but I don't think they asked him to do a lot. And it's a weird saying, so I'll explain. Uh-huh. Uh, I feel like the play design helped. But like the competition yeah. helped too. And I yeah. felt like at times, due to the play design and the competition, a lot of his weapons that he hit were wide open. And he was willing to thread the needle a little bit and get away with it because guys weren't really making the greatest plays on the football. We right. saw against Coastal Carolina him struggle against semi-better comp. And exactly. I think that Carolina tape there and his prior tape prior is probably who he's going to be as a player overall. And mm-hmm. so now from there, you just got to work on improving timing when it comes to the passing protecting himself and then the football i think that's the only thing you could control you made the pick where it is i think he won't be mark sanchez but i don't think he'll be this patrick mahomes comp that they were giving him i saw none of that, that at all blasphemous. that was blasphemous that, that was horrible murray comparison is a lot more accurate i think that is where um murray was helping him in the cardinals he's got a bona fide stud at wide out the old oh. line is decent enough and he's able to kind of do what he does best on the move and whatnot. I think what's killing Kyler Murray is his coach. Um, Kingsbury is not equipped for the league. Um, but I, I think what people are going to realize, there's a difference between Zach Wilson and what people are going to see this year in the Mountain West and Carson Strong, where Carson Strong is being demanded to like make NFL caliber throws a lot mm-hmm. because of the system he's in the air raid. And the talent that he has is cool, but he elevates it because he's making – the check down, the vertical, like constantly where you see like, wow. And so I'm interested to see how his stock will probably rise this year after the college football season's over. But that's my take on Zach. And then last but not least, the Saints have a little quarterback conundrum on their own. They're in a very weird spot where Drew's gone. And I don't trip that Drew's gone because I'm a Saints fan. Drew has been washed for like three years. So when he left, I thought it, it's yeah. a plus. It's but a plus. now it's not a plus if – they're thinking about starting Taysom Hill because now you're switching up your offense. It doesn't make it any better than Michael Thomas. It's probably going to be out for a month. Um, it doesn't look like he's going to get traded. It looks like him and the Saints patch things up. Okay. For those New Orleans Saints, it's important. Like, they have to – because I looked at their schedule. The schedule's not horrible. Like, it's, it's winnable games. But they have to be able to execute in the early month where you start off against Green Bay and those likes. Who do you feel like needs to win this job for the Saints to be productive? And do you see the Saints making the playoffs potentially in the NFC? I mean, it's definitely possible because the NFC South is not very strong outside of Tampa. So, I mean, Saints are probably still more talented than Atlanta and Carolina. Um, But like you said, the quarterback position is a question mark. Jameis Winston, I I think that's probably where they'll go. But it's just um, we've seen them in systems where, you know, in Tampa, you know, turnovers galore. So it's going to be interesting. I would have liked to see New Orleans try to trade up in the draft to get a quarterback. I, I, I thought that was a team like, like, like how Chicago did. Like I, I thought they desperately could have used a young quarterback to kind of just, 
you know, make them feel better about where they're at. But they didn't do that. They committed to this Taysom Hill, Jameis Winston thing. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if they just kind of split, you know, uh, you know, a lot of possessions, you know, uh, like they kind of been doing, you know, with Taysom Hill at times. And I wouldn't be surprised if they do that. Um, but I think Jameis Winston is probably the one that needs to win a job just because he's actually, you know, always been a quarterback and that's been his primary role. Um, and, you know, even though he's turned the ball over a lot, he's still got a really good arm. But, you know, I just question his decision making and his ability to be accurate with the football, um, you know, at the right time. But I, I think I think we could see this team just be more of a run heavy team this season. Yeah, I agree as well. I think clearly we both acknowledge if you have a choice to pick a quarterback um, to run your NFL team, and it came down to Taysom and Jameis, we're picking Jameis Winston. The problem yeah. is with Jameis Winston at this point of his career, he has a rep, and the season yeah. hasn't started yet, so that's still his rep. So his rep is exactly. accuracy comes and goes, decision-making isn't the best, and he doesn't protect the football very well. So that's where that is. And it allows a Taysom Hill to stay alive in these conversations because of that guy's track record. My issue with Taysom Hill is he is a horrible vertical down the field passer and yeah. he can't read defenses at all. Philly, I thought exposed them because they played a lot of like man, a little bit of zone. They treated him kind of like how guys used to treat Lamar until mm -hmm. Lamar at least made some level of progression as a passer where we're going to box you in with contain. Uh, we're going to take away the middle of the field and, you know, throw to the boundaries. And if you weren't breaking open consistently, he's not going to make that attempt. So exactly. Taysom Hill isn't, he doesn't have the athleticism that Lamar has, and he doesn't have that rocket arm that Kaepernick had when he yeah. was playing with the 49ers. So I think he's at his best as a gadget guy. The problem is yeah. Saints paid him buku money. That's kind of a gimmick, but they paid him buku money and Sean Payton loves Taysom Hill. Like he wants to prove yes. to the world Taysom Hill can play. The problem is it will be at the expense of his team. And I think the biggest thing that robbed the Saints of winning a Super Bowl was their loyalty to Drew Brees and Taysom Hill. Um, and right, but mainly their loyalty to Drew Brees. They had a chance to get Tom Brady. Tom Brady was going to go to the Saints. But, and I was during the time where Drew Brees was deciding, should I stay or should I go? Drew Brees heard that and to protect his legacy was like, hey, I'll come back. And Sean entertained that foolishness instead of letting him leave are pushing him out the door like New England and Indy did to their respective guys. So it's, I think the Saints missed a golden opportunity to take Jordan Love. They had an yeah. opportunity to pick Jordan Love. Sean Payton was raving about how he liked Jordan Love, just like he raved about how he liked Patrick Mahomes. But it turns out he was really wanted Patrick Mahomes. I don't think he really wanted Jordan Love like that. I think he was a smokescreen yeah. to get whoever else he wanted. And we're right. paying for that. So I think the best case scenario for the Saints is – the core that they have now, challenge to win the division, maybe yeah. get a wild card berth. You get a wild exactly. card berth. Anything can happen in the postseason. If you start to flame out towards the end, it wouldn't hurt to get pick it in the top 10. Because while I'm not sold quarterback-wise in this draft coming up, there's a chance Spencer Rattler can finally be the number one overall high school recruit. We all thought he'd be in college. Uh, there's a chance Grayson McCall from Coastal Carolina has a super season, and he rises. I like him a lot. Carson Strong. Just – Whatever happens, move on, I think, in, in the future. Because if you continue yeah. to try to placate at the quarterback position, it doesn't matter how talented your roster is. Because I think outside the quarterback position, they have a complete roster. It's up there with Tampa. But yeah. if you don't have the answer at quarterback, it doesn't matter. I think this preseason is important 
really for Jameis, more so than Taysom. For Jameis, it's important to let people know my rep was my past, my right. future is what I, I am now. I think so. this, I think what you could hope for is like this is like a Ryan Tannehill situation, um, where in a different situation, he kind of does better. Um, he's not asked to do as much. Maybe that's what'll kind of turn the fortunes for him and he'll start to look like the NFL level quarterback that we thought he could be. That's a great example. Just be just be uh Ryan Tannehill. And if he's that, it'll allow yeah. him like Tannehill to get an extra contract, if not from the Saints right. somewhere else, that'll extend his career. But for Jameis, this is kind of it for him. I, if it doesn't yeah. work out here, he's gonna probably be a perennial backup. And yeah. That's it. I mean, you know, and so it's just an unfortunate situation that he kind of dug his own self in. But unlike Marcus Mariota, he's getting an opportunity to compete for a starting job because he has NFL talent that we all recognize. Doesn't have limitations in his game, like as a thrower, mm-hmm. except accuracy comes and goes. The issue is turnovers. The issue is protecting the right. ball. The issue is being a smarter decision maker, stuff that he can control. And it's going to be on display this preseason. I think. You got to make Sean Payton look stupid to start Taysom Hill. If it's even in the preseason, yeah. it's going to justify him starting Taysom. If you pull away, he's going to have to start you, and then we're going from there. But I think Saints have the best chance to win starting Jameis. If they start Taysom, I don't really think they're going anywhere. So I think that's my personal take on that. Yeah. And that's a wrap for episode 26 of Independent Intel. It was great to talk with Will about a variety of sports topics, touch base on the NBA and the preseason. Before I go, Will, what are you looking forward in the preseason this summer league moving forward? Um, hey, maybe you can even drop your um, preseason predictions of who will win or get to the Super Bowl in the NFL. Okay, so uh, just storylines. Like, I'm really intrigued to see what happens, like, with Dak and, and uh, you know, in Dallas because – He's been saying he's getting another MRI and all that. And I'm just like interested to see if he'll be ready to play come week one and all that, uh, especially with the money they just paid him and, you know, the negotiating he did to get that money. Um, and so now it's, it's his time to really shine and like really elevate this team because I mean, the NFC East, I think Washington's the best team, but you know, if Dak's the best quarterback in the division. So he has like a chance to elevate this team above them, in my opinion, with the offensive firepower they have. I mean, they're going to be tough and defensively they are still not great, but they're, they're not going to be as bad as they were last year. So I think Dallas, so uh, that, that situation right there is very interesting. And then just with the summer league, uh, I mean, I'm really not much. I mean, a lot of top players, it feels like are starting to sit out because, you know, they've seen enough. Um, but I'm just really uh, intrigued for this NBA season to start, uh, like, like, you know, like we said, the Lakers and then Ben Simmons, where he gets traded if that happens. Um, you know, hopefully Philly can find something for him because I feel like both sides need uh, something different going forward. Um, and, yeah, that's all really, you know, I have to say. Yeah, I appreciate those comments, Will. It was great to have you on. And before I go, I'd love to, you know, put my tidbit in there as well. I think uh, the NFL and the NBA, they're both in good places. Um, I think yeah. the NBA has a lot of excitement. And as far apart as the Lakers, Nets look on paper, um, we feel like I think it's comfortable to say maybe the Bucs can defend their championship crown. And there's a lot of teams that didn't make the playoffs last year that will be in contention this year. I think the NBA is in a very good place where I yeah. feel even the bad teams are going to be competitive coming, coming this upcoming season. And the good ones are going to – dog fight it out with each other to kind of find out 
who stands tall and that climb to the mountaintop. And I feel like in the NFL, uh, AFC is going to be a dogfight. I think Kansas City has a chance to go to their third straight Super Bowl. I want to see how focused and locked in they're going to be this year. They looked out of their element in the Super Bowl, and a lot of it was stuff that they couldn't control. Their old line was broken up in the shambles. I thought the refs did them a very huge disservice defensively in the first half, but they did get outplayed in the second half, and that you can't defend that. So they're locked in. Mahomes is saying all the determined right things. They're talking 20 and 0. I don't think they're going undefeated. But no. I do think now they have the best offensive line in the AFC. And give the best offensive line in the AFC to Patrick Mahomes. He's probably going to go with his second MVP. But Buffalo's just as good. Cleveland is everybody's trendy Super Bowl pick. Not sold on them completely yet because Jadavion Clowney's on their team. And if they're expecting him to be that extra pass rusher that they need, Good luck yeah. because he's not that anymore. The only thing, Buffalo, I, the thing, the yeah. thing with Cleveland is just Baker Mayfield. It really that's what it is for me. Is he gonna be good enough to lead them to that point? That's that's really what it's gonna be. Yeah, I think Baker. I think what he does is important. Um, but I also feel like I think Baker has grown on me, and I feel like he could get better. But I do feel like he's he is who he is. I think Baker's kind of Ryan Tannehill. So. Cool. He can elevate you in games, but I think for him that will lead you to a Super Bowl, everybody has to click. And I think right. that can happen as long as Nick Chubb and Odell Beckham stay healthy. They all missed points of the year last yeah. year. Odell never came back because of his catastrophic injury. Those guys are able to stay healthy. They have a nice core. But I think Buffalo is the real threat to Kansas City. They just needed more pass rush, I felt like, against right. Kansas City. They hope Gregory Rousseau can provide that. AJ Espinosa maybe can be that for them in his second year. Uh, Josh Allen is the truth. I don't see him dipping. Like, I don't see this being a Cam Newton situation where he had that MVP season and then never was able to replicate that. Again, I think Allen's here to stay. The importance for Buffalo is a running game. Establish that. I think they'll be fine. It looks like Zach Moss is their guy. That's going to be their bell cow, but Devin Singletary could possibly factor in. The NFC is weird because I, I, I'm not sold that Tampa's going to repeat. But then you also look at it like, who's their comp? Like, I mean, Green Bay, Green Bay. is comp, kind of. Seattle, but that's about, that's about it, maybe. Yeah. I know people are saying Seattle and the Rams. Matthew yeah. Stafford is starting to break down. Uh, he got hurt again in camp with the thumb. And I'm not sold on Stafford intangible, so I'm not sold on him leading them there. Seattle is fine, but I think they have, are very vulnerable and have been the last few years defensively. And then offensively, Pete Carroll's play call is, is still questionable. And Russell Wilson, when he's not protected, is not as impactful as he usually is when he is. And that's for a lot of quarterbacks, but it's really so for Wilson. I do want to see what the Saints can do. And then who's going to win the NFC East? You said Washington's the best team. I saw Fitzpatrick and Heineke both looked. I honestly would start Heineke personally. But, hey, I mean, it is what it is. I think their team with better quarterback play is going to look way more productive offensively. And then defensively, their front seven is nasty led by Chase Young. So uh, I think the AFC is going to be more competitive. NFC's got some question marks, but. Another team to watch out for, the Chargers. The Chargers are another team. Forgot to add them. They're they're a team I think will be in the playoffs. I like Justin Herbert a lot. Derwin James, just stay healthy. If he can stay healthy, people are going to remember how great of a young safety he truly is. Him and Joey Bosa, they can stay on the field. They'll be impactful. Same thing with Keenan Allen. But the Chargers is about health. I think their coaching is going to be a lot better. They're going to close out close games like they never have been able to before. Health is important. 
Justin Herbert maintaining that level of productivity. I think they are the dark horse in the AFC for sure because they match up very well with Kansas City and they have the firepower to compete with everybody else in the AFC. That's, oh, you got one more thing you want to add? Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> and so, guys, that's it for episode 26. Hope you guys enjoyed. Long with the episode, plenty of topics to talk about. It will be a good listen for you guys. Next week, I'll have episode 27 back to talk about a variety of other topics in the sporting world. Hope you guys have a great listen. I'm out. Peace.